There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We're the only country that comes up with a name for fun. Crack. It's blackguarding. It's scutting. It's no harm. 55 euros straight out of my account. So they have my money and I have no test. Bad time for all these people. And it's always a good-hearted person to change them. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 83, did that story in the news say 83 mishaps per adult in a year? They haven't been to my house. I can have 83 before I leave Guggen Towers of a morning. It was only about an hour after I get up. That's optimistic at best. (laughs) Good morning. What a gorgeous morning out there. And it makes you feel good to look at a weather app and realise that for once in our lives, we can rely on this weather for a little while. It's going to last, according to the app I was looking at this morning, it's going to last until maybe Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. And it could even get a couple of degrees warmer, which is fabulous. It's great. I love it. And yes, I know people will say this is climate change. And yes, I know people will say it's unhealthy for it to be warming up. I get all that. I do. Okay. You know, I don't I don't need it to be told to me anymore that the climate is changing and that we need to be worried about it. But I'm also entitled to like that. And so is everybody else. Okay. Now there's a couple of education stories in the news this morning. One that is an annual bugbear of mine that I really hate and I am so angry at what I'm reading in the Examiner today, Sean Murray their education correspondent writing a piece about it. I'll get to that in a while but a school for which I have the greatest of respect is the only we educate together. I remember the day it opened and I remember the fantastic concept that it was and I remember going down there and meeting people down there and because it was kind of the first major educate together school of its kind in that area right there in the middle of Heronswood. Trina Golden, good morning to you. Good morning PJ, how are you? Great. You're going to have someone teaching in a corridor next year? Do you know the funniest part of this PJ is when I was discussing this with the examiner that wasn't even the main part of the story. So when the, the story broke and that was the headline, I was a bit surprised because 
I don't think people realise, but I kind of did some some polls online about it last night because this is completely normal for schools. So schools that read that were not surprised at all and the general public was shocked. But from the polls I did, about 2,000 teachers replied last night within about three hours and almost 70% of them in their schools, there's SET teachers teaching in corridors or toilets or cupboards or a corner of something. This is completely normal in our schools. And it was a surprise to me that it was a shock to everyone else. Well, it would be a shock, Trina, to people because to the and it's to the teachers and the school's eternal credit that you're not standing on the roof of the school screaming about it every day. Look, it it is and it isn't. You know, I think in ways we don't scream enough and these things continue and nothing gets done about it because this isn't, you know, we're a school in temporary accommodation. There's always going to be challenges in temporary accommodation. That's the nature of it. But we have permanent schools replying last night, new bills in the last two, three, four, five years, and they all have teachers teaching in corridors. They have brand new buildings and in the brand new buildings, there's only, they're only building maybe three support rooms for a school of 450 kids. And you might have eight to 10 support teachers. So this isn't just an issue of, of schools in old accommodation or temporary accommodation. This is schools currently being built now and it's still happening. So I feel like, you know, maybe we need to shout a bit more and be a, a little less quiet and get on with it but at the same time when something becomes so normalized you just don't really think about it day to day you know it just is what it is yeah you're saying to me that schools that aren't even open yet in fact that might not even have a brick put on top of a brick or a trench dug yet that they will be over full before they open who the hell is planning this and for me, that's the core of it. And and I suppose that brings it back to my, my main point of the article, which was we are a new school. We're three years open. We're in a third year of temporary accommodation. We luckily have had our site identified. We're going to be moving into Janeville, which is great. But that's probably, you know, with planning and all of that, that's probably realistically four to five years away. That's on a good day. I run out of space, at, at best. Yeah. I run out of space in this building next year. I will be enrolling parents in October for the following year. And they're going to ask me, you know, where are you going to be? And my answer is going to be, I don't know. I have no, no idea. There is no communication. There is no planning. So I might find out where I'm going to be in the September if I'm lucky in February, March before it. Right. You might not find out till May. So you're trying to enroll kids. You're going to tell telling parents, you know, please give us your, your lovely five-year-old who's your whole world. And I can't tell them where that child's going to be sitting in the September. And for me, that lack of planning, it's across everything. You know, we will have that lovely new building. We'll have 16 classrooms. We'll have three autism classes, probably. And we will probably have three support rooms. That's the standard for a 16-class build. Right. We already have two support teachers. So when we have 450 kids, 
how many support teachers are we likely to have? Mm. And how are they going to fit in three rooms? You're over full before you're open. Yeah, or certainly within within a number of years, there's no forward planning as to, you know, where where does it go? And then you what you see in you know lots of new schools is a huge amount of money being put into extensions, and the school might only be open five years, mm-hmm. and suddenly there's an extension needed, and you're going through the whole process again, and the amount of money involved, and I think that's that's the thing. People, you know, need to be aware and need to be angry because the, it's not fair on the kids. You know, our first class that, that started with us are in first class now. They will probably spend their entire school, primary school education in temporary accommodation. Now, d- d- define what temporary accommodation is. In, in my day, it was a prefab, Trina. I did three years of my primary school in a prefab. Most most of the time it's prefabs. Um, it's not for us at the moment. We're in a building in Heronswood that was originally built as a creche. So the department have leased it for three years until the end of next year. Um, it's fine. It's good quality temporary accommodation. You know, it's, it's as good as it gets for temporary accommodation, but it's small. Mm. And the classrooms are small. So space is very, very tight. So like next year, my office is going to be a desk in the staff room. You know, that's that's kind of the space we're looking at. Um, after that, I don't know. You know, we could be on a split. We could be here and somewhere else. We could be in prefabs on the new site if they can arrange planning for that. I really don't know. And that uncertainty, I suppose, is is the big challenge for us. And this may sound like an awfully stupid question, but when you got the go-ahead for the new school that will be in, in Janeville, and, and as you say, four or five years on a, on, yeah. a, on a good day, right? Yeah. Did anybody, Trina, sit you down, anybody from the Department of Education, anybody involved with the planning of this and say, Trina, what do you need and what are you going to need? Oh, PJ, like if if you could see the faces of any teachers, well, there's no teachers listening to this because they're all working. Um, they're, they're laughing because we, one, have had and will have absolutely no communication directly from the department. You know, it's it's intermediaries and, oh, will, will someone tell them? Or what often happens is announced on Facebook by a TD and we spot it that way. Um, so direct communication is minimal um, and you get no say, absolutely no say. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not an expert in building. But no, I, but you know how many children you have coming to the school. You know how many you're going to have. You know the space you need. You know the space your staff need. If you ask me, Trina, you'd probably be my first phone call if I was building well, a school like this. I I understand that, but at the same time, Every every new school is set. So our school was was, I suppose, founded due to demographic growth. They knew there were going to be too many children in Carrigaline for the amount of school places. This was identified years ago. My issue is, well, at that point, build the school. You know, you know this is coming. You know you're going to open a new school. There are, you know, housing estates going up all around you. Fall in with that and build the school and then open the school in a building, but also all of these schools are identical. You know, they're they're designed. There might be a company designing, you know, ten schools at the same time around the country, and then they're, you know, I don't want to say Lego, but basically, you know, pre-constructed things that are moved on site. Mm. 
like the design is the same. We know we're going to have 16 classrooms worth of kids. The departments already have a plan for that. That's fine. But in in terms of how they design that plan, I don't think there's an awful lot of people with experience working with children directly in schools involved in that planning stage. I don't think it needs to be the individual school. I don't think you need to speak to every principal because that's probably inefficient. But certainly at that point where you're putting together, this is what a school should look like. Mm. Talk to some principals at that point, you know. Yeah, yeah it um, strikes but, me as as simple simple logic that if you're going to be designing a school that you at least talk to the principal who will be running that school or at very least the the board of that school to know yeah. what exactly you need. But let's bring it down to brass tacks, Trina. The, the youngsters, the wonderful five-year-olds and upwards that you take in, how does this affect them day to day? Well, this this will vary hugely depending. And, and look, the article was was more about temporary accommodation in general. We're, as I said, quite lucky in what we have. So for now, we're we're doing quite well with space. Next year, as I said, we will move things around. I'll move into the staff room. We'll do anything we can to minimise the impact on the kids because the reality is they deserve better than than what's going to be there for them. But the issue is, you know, spaces. Like we don't have, we've very minimal outdoor space for them to play and run. And, you know, we're talking about a new curriculum where we're prioritising well-being and PE and physical activity. And yet you'll have temporary accommodation built all over the country, prefabs going in places with absolutely no outdoor space access or, you know, a tiny corner for a yard. So what we what we say in theory when we develop the curriculum and then we don't follow through in practice, the spaces aren't there to do a proper PE curriculum, to, to give them access to green spaces, to give them, you know, all of those things we're saying are so important um, mm. aren't there and you know schools will make do and schools will mitigate it so we'll go for a walk to somewhere reasonably nearby we, we had our sports day on a green you know in the housing estate what? that's the sort of thing you're doing and the kids loved it the kids didn't notice a tap of difference they absolutely loved it but, yeah but I'd say you were living in fear oh, mortal the- fear of a van coming around the corner Exactly. And a child running out in front of it. Just making a run, yeah. And look, we we mitigated all that. We did the risk assessments. We we people placed in very careful spaces to make sure that didn't happen. But you shouldn't have to be. You know no. that shouldn't be part of it. Um, and those kids that are in first class now, the the ones the parents that took a leap with us the first day we opened, they're probably never going to see that new school building. That's the reality. You know, and that's not good enough. No. They don't deserve to spend eight years jumping from building to building to prefab to housing estates to wherever. You know, there seems they deserve to be, a building. There seems to be, and I can, I can remember when I lived in Carrigaline, Trina, and I'm gone out of it now, the bones of, of 20 years, but when I lived in Carrigaline, there wasn't enough educational space for the children. Yeah. Carrigaline is considerably bigger now. I remember every time I drive down past Janeway, which is or Janeville, which is a fantastic development of wonderful houses. Yeah. Where are all these children going to go to school? Yeah, and and you know, hopefully they'll be with us. And that's to be fair, that was identified. The department did plan to open a new school. That side of it's great. They're identifying the demographics and they are creating the space. But 
it seems to be completely separate then to think about, oh, what about a building? You know, so th- there needs to be some form of joined up planning here where, yes, you've identified the demographics, you've decided we need a new school. Brilliant. Where are you going to put them? Where are you going to put them and so, when's it going to open? Exactly. You know, and that, and just from my own side, and look, this is less important because it doesn't have direct impact on the kids. But like so much of my time is spent trying to, you know, convince kids, convince parents to start with us because our teacher numbers are completely dependent on the amount of kids we enroll. So if I'm saying to parents in October, oh, start with me, you know, it's a great school, you know, we're really going to help your child. And they're like, where are you going to be? And how do I have to drive there? Because Carrigaline traffic is awful. And how am I going to get there? And I can't give them an answer. The numbers, we don't hit the numbers and we don't get the teachers. And then you end up with multi-grade classes. And there's all of these knock-on impacts that Mm. impact the day-to-day. And And, and, and as you said, this is not just... uh, only we problem, this is a national problem. And, you know, you, you passed it off there very, um, very, very kindly, I think. You, you underplayed your own problem. I think the idea that a principal of a thriving school should be running her office out of a desk in a staff room, Trina, that's disgraceful. You can't do your job properly in those circumstances. That's true. And to be honest, one of the bigger concerns for me is, you know, staff are trying to take their breaks in there. Exactly. They need space to have lunch. How, how, are, you gonna, to how are you going to conduct an important phone call? How are you going to conduct an important phone call or run an important meeting or do a Teams with whoever you do Teams with when there's a guy trying yeah. to have his coffee and sandwich 10 foot away? That's not fair on either of you. And I suppose that's not... That's not specific to me. No. And I suppose that's the important message. This this article, it's not, look, it's not about us. It's not about me. 42% of Educate Together schools are in temporary accommodation. 42%. No. So this isn't one school in Cork or one school in Dublin. This is like a significant chunk of all the Educate Together schools in the country. And we're not the only ones. You've... No community national schools and new Wales schools and all of that in similar situations yeah. but when you 42% of 120 schools in temporary accommodation we're doing something wrong indeed. we're not planning well enough indeed indeed Trina good speaking with you continue the wonderful work that you and your team do down there Trina Golden principal of the Onabui Educate Together National School in, in Carrigaline the point she's making is a valid one they're building all these wonderful schools. They're saying, yeah, we'll build these schools. We'll spend money on schools. We'll give you schools. But they don't ask the principal, well, what do you need now? It's, There's your school. It's full before it opens. There's just, where's it going to open? When are we going to? Ah, it is all. It's all backwards, if you ask me. 0818 96 96 96. The other thing from the world of education that was grinding my gears this morning is a story in the examiner that says 9 in 10 parents, almost 9 in 10 of the parents they surveyed, are cutting back or delaying spending in order to pay something. Something they shouldn't have to pay. I'll tell you about that in a sec. 0818 96 96 96. You make me feel The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon Raising money for Cork Cancer Services Your donations will make a massive difference 
I'm now delighted to announce that the total raised in the 2023 Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is €429,597. What an absolutely breathtaking result. Thank you. A huge thank you to everyone who supported the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. Only on Cork's 96FM. On the phone, somebody says teachers have it better in Ireland than any country I can think of. They have a shorter working year, more pay, more allowances. In many countries, they have to ensure that all homework and review is done in the school, for example. It's not fair on the kids. Some of what you say is valid. I don't doubt that. Teachers have a pretty good, if they're permanent, have a pretty good deal here. But... I don't think that's anything to do with the problem of schools being stuffed to the gills even before they open. What I was talking about before the break, this is in the examiner today. Almost nine in ten parents are cutting back on delaying or delaying their other spending to pay voluntary contributions in post-primary, which can be as much as 550 quid per child. Now, Grant Thornton an austere group of people and they conducted research on behalf of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul and of the people they surveyed they found that 86% of them said a voluntary contribution was being requested 80% of them were never told that that was optional even though the Department of Education says it must be made clear to parents that there is no compulsion beyond that One parent told the survey it had to be paid because the child wouldn't get a homework notebook if it wasn't. And then the teacher would ask, where's your notebook? So everybody would know the fees hadn't been paid, which is very embarrassing for the child. Now, since my own children were in school, I've been getting up behind legs about this because I think it's just another way to force parents to fund the schools when in actual fact... They should be funded out of the Department of Education budget. Uh, Jen Hogan is education columnist at the Irish Times, and we've spoken many times. Jen, you're also aware of this report. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said to you, when I was a parent of school-going children, I was up on my hind legs about these problems, about these things. I paid them because I felt I had no choice. Shouldn't have to, though, should I? Good morning. No, no. good morning, PJ. No, you shouldn't have to. And like you just said there, it is parents having to subsidise um, schools because uh, schools are saying that they're insufficiently funded or yeah, insufficiently funded. And I was I was speaking to parents about this and across the board. I mean, this is a conversation we have every year, I think, about voluntary contributions and the pressure that parents feel to pay voluntary contributions and the sacrifices even that they need to make and this the report makes a very interesting reading um, to, to see that people are cutting back on other things particularly we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis but the yeah. cost of voluntary contributions hasn't come down you know people are still being asked for astronomical amounts of money and when I got in touch with parents about this I was hearing figures of, of like 600 euro that's being asked for a non-fee paying school for one child and to ask anybody to come up with that on top of all 
all the other costs that are involved with back to school. And it's not, we all know, I mean, we may claim to have free education here, but parents are already paying huge amounts of money to get their children to go to school, particularly if you have an iPad, a student who attends an iPad school and you have a huge initial outlay there because you're buying the books and the iPad and the uniforms and all those other things. And then to have to pay the voluntary contribution on top of that and to feel that you have to pay the voluntary contribution on top of that because the only mention of it is voluntary. And yes, voluntary means it's voluntary, but there's no emphasis to remind parents this, of course, is Mm. voluntary and only if you can manage it. Even though the department says very clearly that parents must be told there's no compulsion to pay Mm -hmm. this, but that doesn't happen. It doesn't. It does. I suppose the the get out of jail card is the word voluntary. You know that it says voluntary contribution. Although some parents are now reporting back that it's been changed and it doesn't say anything about voluntary contribution. They're still being asked for the same amount, but it's coming in now under admin fees. So oh, they're miscellaneous old, and sundries and all those those old things that you get. You know, photocopying and sundries and miscellaneous and what what are they all all coming for? And yeah. I suppose that's if it's a, if you're if you're your um, voluntary contribution is on the lower amount, perhaps that can come in under that. It's a bit hard to, to justify €600 Euro and sundries, but for other asks, maybe it's it's a little bit easier. But, but that's what parents are reporting back to me now, that the voluntary aspect has been taken away from it because it's now included under those sort of um, requests instead. But again, even when it, where it says voluntary contribution, the, the constant reminders, it stays in the it stays in the, um, the app that perhaps schools use to communicate with, mm-hmm. with parents. It stays hanging there. That reminder, you haven't paid this yet. The email comes in comes in to remind you that you must pay this. The reminder email comes in. Um, I had one parent tell me that every two weeks there's a request to pay that voluntary contribution. So, And even things, helpful things like, and I know on the face of it, yes, it's a way of, 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 sh- of spreading the cost. But the idea of you can pay the voluntary contribution over a number of months, if that makes life easier, it also makes it feel like it's less voluntary because now they're, they're yes. offering you another way to pay it. But you still pay it. The other thing is that the homework notebook that the child won't get unless the contribution is paid. But one of the ones, I took a call here a number of years ago, Jenna, we never named mm. the school at the time because I, I couldn't get a, a response from the school. One school, kids in junior and leaving cert year, unless this fee was paid, they would not get to sit their mocks. That's horrible. I mean, that... <laughs> It, it's quite incredible that, it's out, that that any school could even to themselves justify that kind of behaviour, you know, that to, to do something like that. And, and I suppose that's what parents are trying to deal with, the fear that somebody, that something like that could happen, the fear that their child is the one who's humiliated and doesn't have a, access to a locker or doesn't have their journal. And this, of course, shouldn't be happening. And I do believe this was challenged with the Department of Education um, and reported or when a board, boards of management approached, there'd be a, an end to this because this can't, this just can't happen. You cannot have a child not having access to the things that that they need to have access to because they haven't paid the voluntary contribution, which is voluntary and and has to be um, indicated as such. That just shouldn't be happening. But it's very hard when you're a parent to be the person who challenges that because a lot of parents feel quite uncomfortable saying, I actually can't afford this. You know, yes. things are tight. Yes. I don't have enough yes. money. Um, it's it's Nobody wants to have to admit that to somebody. You know, people can be quite private about stuff that they're trying to, to manage and navigate. There can be other worries. So it's really difficult. So instead of putting 
bring it back on parents to go forward to schools and say, look, I can't afford to pay it. I'm, I'm out this year. I'm not in that position. The emphasis, it, the emphasis should be the other way around to say it's only if you like, you know, pay yeah. it if you can. If you can't, no problem. One well, request and that be it. Well, we're coming into to, to June and I'm already mm. thinking back. It's almost like a post-traumatic stress. I'm already thinking back <laughs> to when we were coming into June and my kids were coming up to finish school and and you're mm. already thinking about August. You're already looking at the middle to yeah. end of August. The most expensive three weeks yeah. of the entire school year. You know, and I, I, that, that pressure on parents in the current climate, Jen, is very hard on people. It's completely unacceptable, particularly when we've read numerous reports coming in from other places like Bernardo's reports talking about parents skipping meals or cutting back yeah. on meals and to having lower portions and trying to change what they're eating and children missing out on nutritious foods and cutting back on so many other things for them to feel something that, that's their basic right, that entitlement to education is compromised in some way because the parents can't afford a voluntary contribution. In this day and age, we absolutely should not be putting pressure on parents. Plus, like you said, it's asking parents to step up and pay for, for funding that the department should be providing. If the schools aren't adequately funded, then it's up to the department here now to step in and mm. see why this is and support schools as needed. But um, no, it's shocking. In this time, it's just incredible to think that we're still here. And I guarantee you, PJ, we'll be having this conversation next year again sure because the, the same dread happens every single summer, like you said, the same worry, the same frustration, the same pressures and nothing ever changes. If we look back to the 2017 circular, which said that we were to um, uh, crested uniforms were to be done away with and we were just to have a crest that could be sewn onto uniforms and that would take away a huge amount of pressure from parents if they could buy school uniforms in numerous different shops instead of just one specific shop that provides these crested uniform pieces and here we are in 2023 and that still is not the case across the board Yeah, because it always seems to me like someone will say it should be done but doesn't have the gumption Mm. to push it through. You're an education columnist, Jen, do you know if Norma Foley, the Minister for Education has made any response to this survey I don't know yet no I haven't I've been just aware of it this morning so I'm not I haven't heard anything yet I know in the past I I know she spoke on another radio station and she did speak in relation to voluntary contributions and said that the schools must emphasize that they are voluntary you know and that if they're to ask for voluntary contributions that again must be made very clear that they're voluntary but as we're hearing from parents they certainly don't feel that to be the case All right Jen thank you very much Jen Hogan education columnist of the Irish Times as we were we're speaking, we've had an email to opinion at 96fm.ie, which, by the way, wherever you are in the world, whether you're listening to us on the radio, in the car, on an app, on your phone, wherever you are, or Alexa, or any one of those things, grab opinion at 96fm.ie, and that will land with us instantly. While we're having this conversation, Katie says, I heard in the news about that school voluntary contributions survey. I have two kids in school. I feel like I'm constantly handing out money for school tours, school books, school plays, pyjama days, bucket days. It's relentless. I was. Re- this is the best bit. I was recently asked to buy a school play brochure. Okay. My kids aren't even in the play. It's the older classes are putting the play together. But all the parents were asked to buy the brochure. Then, of course, there are the voluntary contributions. It's more and more the squeezing of middle-income earners and working parents. That's from Katie to Opinion at 96fm.ie. That is a new one on me. And... (laughs) 
So you're asked to buy, and she doesn't say how much it was, but I imagine it wasn't it wasn't a fiver. You're asked to buy a brochure for the school play. Her kids aren't even in it. Like what? On um, and of course they won't be asking. They want you to do it. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Cork's 96FM invites you to run the Cork City Marathon. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie for Sunday, June 4th. Do it now with Cork's 96FM. A little bit later this morning, talking about assisted dying, there's a public meeting coming up in Cork on the subject of assisted dying. And I, I, I must say it's one of these things on which I find it very difficult to remain neutral. I won't tell you where I stand for now, although if you know me, you know me. And you know how I feel about it. That's coming up later on this morning. I'd be interested in your point of view at 0818 96 96 96. But first, we touched on this story uh, about a fortnight ago. And we were warned that this would come to pass. And it has indeed. I speak of Beaumont Residential Care. The families of the residents there protested yesterday outside Michal Martin's office and I think they were due to be back there again today. But within hours of that first protest, the owners of Beaumont Residential Care Home, uh, Care Choice, announced that they were leaving the fair deal scheme. Most of the 70 or so people that benefit from Beaumont Residential Care are on the fair deal scheme. Maria Sullivan, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How it are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's the news that kind of people felt was coming, but nobody wanted. What does it mean for you? Oh, it's awful like that we, at this stage, we have to actually go out and protest for our elderly people. Um, I think that's the most upsetting part of it. And you know, I think it was the same sentiment that everybody that was outside Michal Martin's office yesterday felt Mm. That it had to come to this. That there, there has been no agreement or no no kind of correspondence from from the National Treatment Purchase Fund or the government. Like since this arose, like we're mm. saying, the last week or two for us. And you, your, know, your, your beef is Beaumont. not with Care Choice, and your beef is not with the oh, management no. at the moment. No, no, absolutely not. Like I myself actually worked in Beaumont for two and a half years as, as a nurse, but my uncle is there. That's why. I suppose, I, and I see both, there's nothing. I mean, Beaumont is an absolutely fantastic place. And and I suppose that's the upsetting part for a lot of relatives of people in Beaumont, that it is such a lovely place. And we'll say our family members are very happy there. And just the thought of ha- them having to be moved, if this isn't resolved, is extremely upsetting for everybody. Mm. I understand that some of those residents who are still sentient and sharp of mind, and many of them still are, they're desperately worried and frightened now. Oh, they are. They are. And like, as you say, we're trying to keep this information from them, do you know? But then it's very difficult. They read the paper, they listen to, to the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do because the paper is available for them to read in the nursing home. So anybody like who can read the paper are looking at this and they're saying, like, oh, what's going to happen to me? And like, Beaumont, is their home now? Like, like, oh, they're in a nursing home. Sure, they probably don't understand. Sure, they're there because they're old. They have dementia. They have Alzheimer's, whatever like that. But a lot of them aren't like that, no. do you know? No. Um, and as I said, it's, it's extremely upsetting for everybody. Some of them, I mean, and I, I know this because when my wife w- was training for what she does now, she spent some time mm-hmm. um, on placement in, in a home. And she said there are right. people there and the only reason, and you'll know this, the only reason they're there 
is physical. They're sharp as a tack. Sharp as a tack. I'll tell you, like you spoke to my cousin last week, like that's a 99 year old man that's in there is my uncle. Yeah. And I visit him and he he loves playing cards, 45. And I was down with him and I was played with him last week. And I can tell you, I like to win. He likes to win and he wins more games of 45 than I do. So there there is nothing wrong with his mind, I can tell you. There you go. Uh, yeah, I knew a woman. So, who, and, and a lot like of people say about that. Like a, she used to cheat into her activities. 90s. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, knew a woman, exactly. I, I knew a woman like that who used to cheat at cards into her 90s. So, yeah. Oh, he gets a great thrill out of it when he when he wins. And I don't leave him win, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, and, and I, I know who you're speaking of now. How is he feeling mm-hmm. at this news? Well, I suppose we're not discussing it with him, being honest, PJ, because like we don't want to upset him. Like it was a huge change for him to go into a nursing home. He had lived on his own like for over 40 years after his wife died. And only because he had a fall at 96, he had never been in hospital prior to that, ever. So, I mean, like the state, he owes the state nothing, we'll say like that, or the government, because he was never a burden to them. And he had one or two falls at 96, had to go into the nursing home. And I suppose it was a great time because I was walking there at the time. And I suppose it made it that bit easier with the familiar face. And that's what makes it easy in nursing homes for a lot of the residents there is the familiar face. It's like another family outside your own family. And like for them to have to or to be even talking about having to move elsewhere is, is awful. And I can tell you this much, and I know from working with elderly people that a lot of them you know, won't survive this move or this upset mm-hmm. you know, for them. So it's, it's shocking that... like. Nothing seems to be being done at the moment. The slightest mental or physical trauma when you're at that stage oh, of life can be shocking. life-changing. It can, of course. Like, and that's that's a huge worry as well for families. Yeah. That's like, even if they do have to go, what is it actually going to do to them? Do you know? And I suppose, as well, I suppose, uh, from nursing and things like that, that point of view, people with dementia and Alzheimer's, like, they get used to a routine they get used to their own place, they their do. their they new do. friends, and it's so important to, to their care. Oh, it is like it's it it surely is like, and to get to know them, like when they're in the nursing homes, to get to know these people and to know their yeah. individual quirks. Like we all have individual quirks, as you well know, yeah. you know, and to get to know them, to know and get to know them as individuals, and like that's very upsetting as well to think that maybe these people might have to move if this isn't resolved. What's going to happen now that they have walked away? Beaumont have said they are leaving the scheme Care Choice have taken them out of the scheme Care Choice have a chain of places so with that that, have, that could like, spread it could be wrong what has to happen now Marie? The government have to intervene they have to I mean really now you know as well the cost of living has gone through the roof in the last year or two and to offer 16 euro a week of an increase to yes. look after these vulnerable people is an abs- it's an insult there's actually a, to, to the to elderly people. There's a statistic that that I forgot to give. Uh, Stuart Murphy, who's the boss of Care Choice, mm-hmm. he said that uh, his average patient, average resident, got a sixteen euro a week yeah, increase, 16 euro. and a nearby home, publicly run home, yeah. one hundred and eighty three, ten times yeah. more, ten yeah. times. I more. mean. I mean, where's, where's, we'll say the fair and fair deal in that. It seems absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that, that really is an insult, mm. you know, to our elderly people. 
Who's the minister and for I the elderly at the moment? Is it Mary Butler? Mary Butler, yeah. She's Minister for Elderly and Mental Health. And I can tell you, I worked in mental health as well for a long time. So, you know, you, we seem uh, to be fighting for these vulnerable people. Uh, has she said anything? No, nothing like they're saying they don't deal with individual cases. Oh, for goodness sake. I mean, sake. Uh, yeah, I mean that seems to be part of what's happening. This is the same. This is the same minister that wouldn't intervene with Ona Cora when she had an opportunity to do so. Absolutely, yeah. She refused and, point and, and, and now we know, yeah. having followed that story, now we know that the standards at Ona Cora were actually deemed to be higher than some of the places they wanted to put those people. And and and, and, and PJ, and, I, I, had a, I had a personal interest in Ona Cora as well because I would have had a family member who would have been know. a resident there, yeah. and it was shocking. It was and it was like that. You now it was a home away from home for these That's people. Right. And and they just thought it wasn't fit for purpose, so just close it down. No, but yeah. that, like that's what's happened. This is the reality of what's happening now. I mean, there's been—is it 18 nursing homes have closed like in the last year or so? Like, what is going to happen to these elderly people? Where are they going to go? Where are we going to put them? Where are we going to put them? Oh eight one eight ninety six. You know like that. Yeah, right. it's I know. shocking. It's shocking. Marie, please convey my. Um, my good wishes to the family and indeed to that gentleman we spoke about. Um, and I hope that this well, is... Well, if you ever want to play a game of 45, hit down Tim PJ and I, I can tell you, he won't leave you my, my, my mother, <laughs> My mother was a fine player, so. is a fine player, <laughs> tried to teach me. Total waste of time. Thank you, Marie. And best to everyone in uh, Black Beaumont Residential Care. Do you remember yesterday morning we were chatting with Linda? And Linda's daughter had a difficulty. She had a a driving test yesterday afternoon. Her own little car has an electronic handbrake. It's how she has learned to drive with it. But she hadn't yet got a tax disc for the car. And she couldn't take the test without the tax disc. A phone call to the tax office got it sorted. And then, Linda, you said to me, she better pass the bloody thing now. Did she? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. That sounds like good news. It's very good news. So, thank God. I said yesterday, what we need is a miracle, and a miracle was certainly delivered twice. So, after getting the disc, we we had an issue. We had an issue with the brakes, um, as in the brake light. Yeah, but it was was nothing. It was literally nothing. So, we just got that sorted before we drove over to the um, the test centre. Um, I'm telling you, when I say I was pacing up and down that road, Mm. it was just unreal. So next thing, a friend of mine actually was passing and she stopped and she said, I've just seen Leah come back. So I literally bolted down the road and I was just so anticipated. I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And next thing she ran out with tears in her eyes. I remember, I remember it, Linda, because when I took my own daughter for her driving test, I walked over to the shop. There was a deli over the road, and purely for comfort eating on a day like this now, purely for comfort eating, I had sausages and chips. I was like a little <laughs> stuffed pig by the time she arrived back with a big smile on her face. Yeah. It's worse than waiting for them to be born. It's absolutely. I'm. I'm telling you now. I actually. I. I was saying. You know. You're going around in your head, going, "What if it doesn't work out for her? What? You know. What? You know. The. The. The actual. 
or how will it like go? I was just literally, and I just had to trust that everything I had, my Lord of mercy and my mother and father and my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, I, everyone tormented in heaven. <laughs> I was praying to everyone. We, we, we went into Toka Church, BJ, and we nearly lit the church on fire with all the candles. <laughs> yeah, you look yeah. up to this guy, you go, lads, I need a favour, and they're, they're, you're thinking, another one? Come on. <laughs> yeah, at this gas, because my sisters were, they were totally anticipating everything, and I said, if you don't hear from me by 4pm, it's not good. Uh, so we, we sent down a photograph of her certificate. Um, so thank you. Listen, I can just say thank you to Emer, Thank you to yourself, PJ. Thank you to the listeners, because people were very kind to come on board. Pat oh, that's right. We had an offer of a car if you needed yeah. one, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, my, sister, my husband now certainly need a break after this. We might go off to Spain for a while, because <laughs> I'm telling you this. You, you won't need to look out at that. <laughs> Go down to Fountainstown and have coffee and a sandwich down in Angeles. Linda, thank you. Brilliant news. Delighted. 0818 96 96 96. A little bit of ferreting around. We got a tax disc and she went and passed the test. Now, that was a good day's work by anybody's standards. Went past the Borden yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah, first time out. Went to Ardmore. Ardmore's in Waterford. Yeah, over the bridge and everything. The yeah. bridge into Waterford. And then the it's bridge like, over Troubled Waterford. Yes. It's nice. Hey, is Cork Water not good enough for you? Uh, I didn't realise Ardmore was in Waterford when I typed it into to Google Maps. What brought you down there? I just typed in beaches. And it's like <laughs> Ardmore. Are you serious? We have 700 of them in Cork. This yeah. Rocky Bay. I thought Ardmore was one of the ones we had. <laughs> You're some donkey. Casey and Ross in the morning. Test drive the award winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at Null DC Cars Skoda sales dealer of the year Corks 96 FM The minds are mine Hello Join the conversation Call 0818 96 96 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Corks 96 some of your correspondence on voluntary, so-called, I have making enormous inverted commas with my fingers above my head every time we use the term voluntary contribution with regard to schools. We have an app and 27 times during the year I was reminded to pay the €250 Euro voluntary contribution. You just can't get it out of your head that they're judging your child and your family. We'd love to have talked to that person, but they say they'd be afraid their child would be victimised because it's a small school. That's okay. PJ, it's granted saying volunteering to pay school fees, but there's a stigma attached to all these things. I'm fortunate I can pay. On a personal level, I'd be gutted, though, to see my child going to school and to be heard, oh, your dad and mom didn't pay the fees, so you can't have a diary or you can't have a locker. It, it really is unfair on the children. And of course, this stuff gets out among the kids. If if the children see that little Jerry's, or that Jerry doesn't have a locker, well, Jerry's parents must be poor people, and that stigmatizes Jerry. And, and yes, we got you. We got you. No, it's a disgrace, and it's voluntary with very, very large <laughs> inverted commas over the side of your head. And Norma Foley needs to come out and stop dancing around it uh, with political speak and if she wants it to stop 
and she wants it to be truly voluntary, then she needs to say that rather than just dancing around it. Same with Mary Butler and the care homes needs to stop dancing around it and using political language and using all this kind of drivel that they speak about individual cases and all that kind of nonsense. And and just do their jobs. Just do their jobs. You're you put in there and you're paid colossal amounts of money to run the country. We'll run the damn country. Okay? That would be good. Or somebody else will. That's the thing. You know? 0818 96 96 96. I can remember speaking about this particular issue a long, long time ago when I was just a substitute presenter on this program years back and then in the early days of the opinion line uh, we, we talked about it and it was never a subject that was an easy conversation because I know where I stand on this I know where I've always stood on it the, the subject of assisted dying I have absolutely no problem whatsoever with assisted dying if I am sick my mind is working but I'm sick if I have motor neuron disease if I have multiple systems atrophy if I have some form of terminal cancer that cannot be that cannot be treated if I have anything like that I want to be able to make a decision that someone that I will either end my life or somebody who loves me will help me to end my life and that somebody who loves me will help me to end my life and they not have anything to worry about or any consequences for that I have no difficulty at all with that, Dr. Andrew Lyne is of is of the group MAID, M-A-I-D, Medical Assistance in Dying. Um, Andy, you're one of the people organising a public meeting at the Metropole Hotel tomorrow night at 8.30. As I said, my cards are on the table. They've been on the table for as long as I can remember. Are we moving yeah. towards a situation where more people Just think the- like I do? Just the first thing, I think the meeting's at 7.30 tomorrow evening, and it's really a meeting about increasing awareness about assisted dying so that we can give more information about what it is and also importantly about what it isn't. I think you're right. I think there's certainly a movement around the world that people are recognising that people should have the, the right in certain circumstances to have a to to uh, end their suffering at the end of a terminal illness you know at a time and place that they're choosing where they can be surrounded by family and friends so if you take that in the last few years i mean traditionally we've had um countries like holland belgium luxembourg have had uh, their form of assisted dying for some years as has the state of oregon in the united states but in the last number of years, all the various states in Australia have introduced uh, forms of assisted dying. New Zealand has it for over a year. Canada has it about six, six, a little over six years now at this stage. And if you look at our European neighbours, Spain and Portugal have recently introduced, Portugal only last week, but they've all introduced uh, assisted dying for their residents. And um, uh, they have a, the equivalent of a citizen's assembly in France at, at the moment to discuss it. Uh, in Ireland, uh, Gino Kenny, uh, Peter, uh, people before profit TD introduced a, a bill to the Dáil a couple of years ago that didn't uh, complete its course through the Dáil, but they did form a committee to discuss this. And that committee is commencing its public meetings in two weeks' time. And I think this is a great opportunity for us to deal with it. Well, it's a very difficult subject, mm. and there will be people with very different opinions on it. You, I think you, it's important you, that we re- 
we respect everybody's opinion because we're all entitled to our opinions. Um, you you mentioned that the meeting will be about what it is and indeed what it isn't. Is it, it is very, very important to put it on the table from point one, isn't it, Andy? Assisted dying is not euthanasia. Um. I think, well, I think euthanasia is a very broad term. Yes. And it's, and I mean, I what I dislike about that term is that it encompasses many things which I, which I think would, um, um, a lot of people would uh, not be in favor of. Yeah. I mean, in it, and again, there are different versions of assist dying in different jurisdictions, but certainly what's most important about what we would like to see introduced in this country is that it should be voluntary. Yes. Uh, I know you just, <laughs> I heard your, at the end of your last topic, but it needs to be a genuinely voluntary uh, process. This needs to be something that the person, and, and they're, they're the most important person in, in this whole process, is the person themselves who have what is a terminal illness. And it is important that they're the ones who, who, who want it and it's really only trying to give them the choice of of assisted dying. Yeah. Um, uh, now, again, I, like I would have to be in a competent mental state to consent. Correct. Yeah, and I mean, just to reflect what was in the Gino Kenny bill, um, uh, the dying with dignity bill. I think what was proposed there is generally what we're supportive of, and in that you would require assessment by two medical doctors that would need to be uh, uh, content that you have capacity. That's the ability to make the decision and that the decision is your own decision and not coerced by anybody else. And I think that's, that is crucial for any introduction of assisted dying. Uh, and in, in fact, in any jurisdiction in the world, the idea that it is voluntary is, is um, crucial. Voluntary is sacrosanct, Andrew, is it? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, again, in in the bill, it, it's for those who are who are competent and have capacity, mm-hmm. and we're fully supportive of that. Nobody wants to. Uh, this has to be a person's own decision, and for it to be so, they have to have the ability to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Because one of the great fears that those opposed to this would have is, well, that's an easy way to. Get rid of our elderly in and infirm. In, but of course, you can't do that because if you're not competent to give this to, to make this choice, it doesn't even enter the conversation. So, someone who who has dementia, or someone whose whose mind is no longer theirs, for want of a better expression, that'll never enter the conversation. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, dementia is a turf is a dreadful, devastating illness, and. Certainly, in my day to day, it's the most it's the most devastating illness I see, and but it is essential for any assisted dying that it has to, as I say, it has to be truly voluntary. And for it to be truly voluntary, you have to have capacity, and people with dementia don't. And I personally would not envisage um, um, how. Um, um, we could at this current time. Uh, uh, sorry, the group I represent. We have ad- we have not advocated for dementia yeah. to be included yeah. uh, for for assisted dying for that reason. A question that came up on a previous discussion I had about this would be things like do not resuscitate and these declarations that you have when you're still competent. So 
you know, I am diagnosed with something terminal and it will take my mental competency at some point or other. I can put it in writing now while I'm still competent that if we get to that point, then I would like to be assisted to end my life. Is is that something that, that you would envisage? Um, well, I think that already exists to a large extent, as in that people already express to their, well, I've had patients express to me that, you know, uh, they don't want excessive intervention if they become unwell. That's already people who are elderly and frail. Families will, people will often have that discussion with their family members. And I think it's very important that uh, as people are getting older, that they do express to their family members what their wishes would be so that they can convey to whoever's caring for them, whether it's in a nursing home or in a hospital, what the person's own wishes would be. Because in truth, I think we all try and respect the patient's wishes at all times as much as possible. So I always think it's very important um, uh, that, that people, you know, convey what they would like if they got into certain uh, uh, situations. I certainly know that my late father had been very clear to me what he would want and wouldn't want. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Now, as it happened, he died suddenly, so it wasn't of no, it never came into that that we had to make any decisions. But he was always very clear to me what he would have wanted and not wanted. And I think that's, it's a difficult conversation. Yes. But I think it's a very useful one for people yeah. to have yeah. uh, with their loved ones. Is it like the conversation that we're always being encouraged to have these days about organ donation? Have that conversation with your loved ones. Make it plain to them that they know what, or that they that they, they, they know what you would want. Should, should we all have that conversation with our? Yeah, loved ones? I, I I think it's I I, I while, while a different topic. I think it is very difficult for people. Uh, if they're in the kind of the acute trauma of having lost a loved one and then someone's asking about organ donation, that can be very difficult. However, I think we all, most people, not all, but most people, if we step back, would actually be quite happy to donate our organs if we were the person who's who who uh, who's being the, uh, the donor. Um, if we find ourselves in that situation, we don't like to think about that because it's a very unpleasant thought, obviously. But I mean, I mean, yes, I think it's always good to think ahead and I think it's always good to think ahead about what might happen further down the road. Yes. Indeed. Okay. The meeting is uh, tomorrow night, 7 30 at the, the Metropole Hotel. Uh, thank you, Andy. That's Dr. Andy Line, a member of IDS MAID. That's Irish Doctors Supporting Medical Assistance in Dying. It's rather a long title, but speaks for itself. 0818 96 96 96. I would like to know what you think about this. There is a bill on the table written up by Gino Kenny a couple of years ago and you know what's going to happen. That's an opposition bill, which means the government of the day will take it, dismiss it as rubbish, then rewrite it and do it as their own thing and pretend it's their own work. That's what happens with opposition bills. But somewhere down the road, we are going to have an assisted dying framework in this country. I think we can kind of accept it as given at this stage. Um, we'll take it further next. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM.
It is many years since I last spoke to uh, Tom Curran. I'm not aware that it was nearly 10 years, though, Tom, since Marie died. Uh, God, it's 10 years ago now, which means it must be more than 10 since we last spoke. Good morning. Good morning. Um, there is an Oireachtas Special Committee discussing the assisted dying and how it might work in this country. Do you yes. think we are? Do you think we are closer to a scheme or a framework under which we might be able to decide? Okay, I've had enough. Want to go quietly? I would hope so because <clears throat> not only is it ten years. Well, it'll be ten years in December since Mary died, but it's ten years since the Supreme Court passed it back to the Oireachtas to do something about this or to to look at the the issue. Remind listeners uh, the, again, Tom, what happened there. You'd do it far better than I. Uh, well, Mary, just to give a little bit of history on, on Mary herself, uh, Mary had, had MS. And Mary had MS when I met her. We were both uh, separately divorced, uh, and we met, and, and I mean, the, the relationship took off very quickly. And Mary had MS, and she told me very quickly in case, as she put it herself, I wanted to run. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. As her MS progressed, Mary decided, in her own words, these are the words that she used, that MS was taking over her life, and, she, and, and it was controlling her life. But she didn't want it to control her death. She didn't want a long, uh, prolonged, lingering death and possibly painful. Uh, so she made the decision that at, at a particular time, when, as she put it herself, when the quality of life that she had was no longer what she wanted and, and no longer worth living, she wanted to be able to, to stop. Mm. Now, she, uh, this is not that Mary was suicidal. Mary loved life as we both did and we both even under the difficult circumstances we really enjoyed the life that we had together I remember, but anyway, I remember you know reading sorry. many articles about you too. you loved one another fiercely and did not Absolutely. want to be parted uh, yeah, yeah and, and I still love Mary I mean there's no doubt about that even though it's 10 years anyway uh, we took a, a case the, the case to the High Court and, 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 on to, and appealed it on to the Supreme Court for Mary to be allowed to get assistance. Uh, and the assistance is very important in that uh, while suicide is perfectly legal, it has been legal in this country since 1993, uh, so any rational person can take their own life. There is nothing to prevent a rational person, and, and people would, would, may argue that that's not true, but this was established clearly in the High Court, that that is a right that everybody has because it's not breaking the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... The assistance part comes in when, for two reasons. One is when, because providing a peaceful death to yourself is very difficult. There's almost nothing that you can buy over the counter uh, that you have access to freely. So to provide that peaceful death is, is very difficult without involving somebody else, such as like a doctor to prescribe something. Yeah. Uh, Nembutal being the, the, the one that's used in all of the countries that, uh, that, that, ha- that provide assisted dying. But anyway... So that's one area. But the second is when the person, their illness gets to the point where it's very difficult for them to take control of the act themselves. So they need the assistance to, to do that, like holding the glass while they drink or something to that effect. Uh, so this was what, what the case was about. We, Mary knew that at any time, because we had put our plan in place, Mary knew that at any time she could make that decision and she could have her wishes. Now, that meant me breaking the law. Mm. But I had given her that assurance. So we took the case for Mary to allow to be assisted. And it, it, it was uh, 
we, we took it on a constitutional basis, that the Constitution gave Mary this right. And the, the, the court said that that wasn't the case. But that they said that this was something that, as they put it in their own words, that if they could provide it for Mary alone, they would, which is a very bold statement to make because they impressed her so much. But there were lots of other people in Mary's situation. Yeah. But anyway, the, the court said that this was something that was definitely needed to be looked at in Ireland, and that was 10 years ago. So you, it's taken 10 years for this committee to be established. You mentioned the, the drinking of, of Nambutal um, yes. as, as the, 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 the method in other countries. And it, it is like this, isn't it, that if Marie Mary had been able to drink the Nambutal herself... That was perfectly her right to do so. But for, well, you, for you to but, give it to her, that yes, was a crime. Exactly. But also, obtaining the Nembital. Nembital is a restricted substance. Yes. So you can't just go into a shop and buy it or order it over the... You know, order yes. it on, from Amazon. So for you like to that. provide it to her... Exactly. ...was yes. a crime. A crime exactly. carrying what? 14 years in jail. Yeah. And, but, the Supre- but and the Supreme Court said at the time, sort this out. Exactly. And they put it straight back to the Oireachtas to say, look at this. And, partic- and they said that it was urgent because, as, as it turned out, Mary didn't have long to live. She, lived, she died that same year. Uh, so th- they said, we need urgency to look at this. And 10 years is urgent. Yes. Ridiculous. Are you attending this meeting? On I am. I'm speaking at it, yes. yes. Okay. Okay. Do you think it's that... Like, it's, the, it's the first of a series of meetings around the country to, to coincide with, with the two inst- to, to do situations. One, uh, the, the important one as far as everybody else is concerned, being the, the establishment of the Oireachtas Committee. Mm. Uh, but the second is to coincide with Mary's uh, 10th anniversary. Yes. So we're having four meetings coming up to the summer and then followed after the summer period, because we don't feel people would want to talk about this or listen to it during the holiday period. After that, uh, we, will, we will continue the meetings around the country. Tom, when I spoke to you first a number of years ago, you, you were as passionate then as you are now, but you would always have the lines lighting up with people who said nobody has the right to decide when life ends except God. And and, there, well, and and those thinkers are still out there. But do you think that 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 is on the wane? Do you think? I, I think so. And, and let me could I just say that if a person feels that way, they're yeah. perfectly entitled Absolutely. to feel that way. Yeah. And and I would support their right to have that view. That everybody's entitled to their own view, providing it doesn't affect somebody else. But, but they don't have that right to impose that view on Mary or anybody else that feels that way. Yes. Uh, so, as I say, I would, perfect, I would completely support their right to feel that way. And if they want to uh, live on, no matter what distressing situation they're in, I support their right to get the best possible service, palliative care or whatever you want to call it, to do that. But at the same right, at the same time... Uh, a person has a right to decide that they shouldn't or yeah. shouldn't be forced to, to, to stay that way. And let me bring and that up, is their right. That me, should be their right. Let yeah. me bring up another question that was always put at the time, Tom, and it was this. So if we start with what you want, yeah. we end up with disabled children being 
anaesthetised, shall we say. Sure, yeah. The, our, our elderly relatives being anaesthetised. I use that word because I don't want to use the E word. I, of course, yeah. Um, yeah. That's where, if we start with what you want and your perfectly rational explanation as to why you believe it should be available, we start there, we end at the other one. Answer that question because you often have done. Of course, yes. Uh, this is the, the, almost the slippery slope. That uh, This is the, the first step on, on uh, yeah. you know, killing off our grannies and all sorts of things. Uh, and, and I'm sorry if I sound a bit flippant, but I've just heard it so often. Uh, there are so many examples where this hasn't happened. I mean, for instance, Oregon and, and Washington were the first states in America to bring this in. That was 20 years ago. They haven't moved in the slightest, and it works perfectly well there. Switzerland is probably one of the best examples of how this works. They're, they're nearly 20 years. They're the only country where people can travel to. They're compassionate enough this that they allow test, other people. This is well-known company, yeah. Well, there, there are several over there. Right, okay. Most people think of Dignitas, but there's four other clinics as well uh, over there. Uh, I mean, I know them pretty well, haven't been involved in this for, for quite some time now. But uh, the, the, the examples are out there that this just doesn't happen. But yeah. also, it's our choice as to how far we go. It, it's not a question that somebody is dictating our laws here. We make our own laws. So if we want to bring this in, and... We do want to extend it. That's our choice. But if we don't want to extend it, that's our choice as well. Yeah. There, are, there are laws all over the country, or sorry, all over the world, about things that we have laws about too. But that doesn't mean we have to have them exactly as they are. Yeah. Yeah, so even it, 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 the, the, the slippery slope thing is just a, you know, what I would call a red herring. Yeah. Bernie, has, a fear. Bernie has a question here. She says, isn't it contrary to what doctors and hospitals and nursing homes should be doing, which is preserving and prolonging life? Society should put more and more effort into lengthening life and making it livable. If this goes through, it will, like it or not, be seen as a change in the way we view care and treatment of disease. Uh, well, uh, part, part, I mean, people think of the Hippocratic Oath when they think of doctors. Yeah. But the Hippocratic Oath has been superseded, in, especially in Europe, by uh, a European, I suppose, code of, 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 of practice. And part of that is to respect the autonomy of the patient. Yeah. And this is all we're asking. Okay. The autonomy of the patient, the wishes of the patient be respected. Do you think it'll happen, Tom? Oh, I hope so, yes. I, I, I hope so. I, I, my, my fear, or whatever it is, that it'll, we've just had a, a Citizens' Assembly as, uh, put together to look at the, the drug problem that we have in Ireland, to look at drug use and what should be done about that. My fear is that part of this committee's thing will be to put it to the Citizens' Assembly to see, for, for the, the, the Oireachtas to abdicate their responsibility and put it back to people to say, yes, we want this brought in. Yeah. As they did with other things, but yeah. uh, that's my fear that so that that could be putting it on the long finger and pushing it down the road another two years, another two years. Yeah. So it could be ten years time, but I have no doubt that it will come in in some form here. 
in some sort of compassionate form. All right. Okay, Tom, thank you. Good to speak with you again. It's been quite some time. Tom Curran, uh, partner of the late Mary Fleming. That meeting is in the Vance Room, the Douglas Vance Room, Wednesday, 31st May. That's tomorrow night, half past seven. More details are on endoflifeireland.ie. Frank, let me take the break first and we'll chat then. Is that okay with you? No, about Cheers, Mark. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. So Frank, on assisted dying, uh, your thoughts? Um, I just personally think it's a no-brainer how anybody could not agree with it. Dumb phones me, but the government won't touch it. Why not? They won't touch it this side of any election because of their voter base. Basically, with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, their voter base is probably that bit more elderly and more set in their ways. And as Tom said, the little religious bit coming into it. Um. Well, because I, I brought that up, really, more than Yeah, I, I, I know you did, but it, yeah, you're right, it's waning, but it'll take maybe another half a generation before it wanes. Um, I mean, Thomas did right. Ten years ago, the Supreme Court said, do something about this. Yeah. No, they will absolutely send it to a Citizens' Assembly, which basically is, we kick the can until we see how the next election goes. But Peter, just a few names. Mm. Tom and Mary. Yeah. Vicky Phelan. Yeah. Stephen T. Bennell's family. Yeah. Uh, Emma. And you know Emma. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I do. Bridget McCall. Remind me again, and remind younger listeners who she was. Bridget from Donegal had um, blood problems. Indeed, indeed. And they dragged, my, they dragged her in. They dragged her into a they, country. They dragged her through everywhere. No, the common denominator here is that they're all medical heroes, and the government failed every single one of them. Yeah, it's absolutely disgraceful. Not just this government. I'm not blaming this government. No, consistently, you're, bl- you're blaming Irish and Irish society. Yeah, you know, I mean. These people going through hell. I mean, PJ, my father, developed Alzheimer's. Yeah. He lasted seven years with Alzheimer's. I'd say it must be the most horrific thing, but not for him. For my mother, who had to deal with um, For the whole family, who had to deal with yes. I'm sorry, PJ. If we had to try it back then, the pillow of the face. I know, Frank, but the, the, the thing is that the... The assisted dying as I know it wouldn't cover that. It. it wouldn't. Well, it would. Well, it if, would. It, it would. If it would. If you said, if you said beforehand, if I guess, yes, yes, X, Y, Z, and put it in writing and be specific, and I think, I think most people would, Peter. Oh, without question or doubt. You know, I mean, as you you brought in the about the the transplant and that, yes, it should be not mandatory, but definitely opt out. I lost a I lost a dear dear friend to motor neuron disease, Frank. I, I saw. I know, I, John. I saw it eat him up, eat, eat him John, alive. From John the Mack, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, John Mack was too 
mental health, what all these people I mentioned were to medical. Yeah. Another true hero, like, and I'm sure if John, if the, the choice was there, we, well, I think we both know what John, I knew John fairly well. Yeah, well, we I, both, I, yeah, you know, the, the last drink we ever had together, Frank, I fed yeah. to him. Yeah. So that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I say we are going with this, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, PJ, we just need to, to come into this really? century... The real world, I think. Is the real world, I suppose, yeah. And I know it's very hard and it's a very tough decision for the families afterwards. It's like after an accident, somebody on life support, you know damn well they're not getting any better. It's a tough decision to say, right, turn off the machine. But it, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've always said to... I've- Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Said to everyone before, and I, I think I'd be reiterating it here, that in terms of my organs, you know, if if I'm gone and it can be used for somebody, just take it, just oh, take yeah. it, and bury well. Well, ex- except the brain, because yeah. there was there was no use. No, there's no thing. use for that. <laughs> and the and the other thing, Frank, is I think I would be on the point of writing down now. If I ever get to a point, just just do what needs to be done. Yeah. Um, Let me go. You know, I, 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 100% I'd say 100% I'd, I'd say the exact same thing All right. Take care Frank, we'll talk again mate Good man, 0818 96, 96, 96. Yeah, to watch To watch a dear, dear friend of yours Deteriorate with something like motor neuron disease Is, is, is the hardest thing It's the hardest thing And um, yeah 0818 96, 96, 96. I'm happy to come back to this I am pro-life but I'm conflicted on the topic of assisted dying. I will attend the meeting on Wednesday as it will be interesting to hear the speakers. That is from John. Morning, PJ. I'd be all for assisted dying. Who wants to linger on when you know your time is up? There's nothing worse in life than watching a loved one die slowly and in pain. That's why I have great respect for vets. Thanks, Barry. Yeah, there are those who say we treat our dogs 
better. We would never allow our pet dog or our pet cat or anything to suffer unnecessarily. We, we make the heartbreaking decision. Dear pal of mine had to let his cat go just yesterday, the day before. A cat he's had for years. He's heartbroken, but it was the nicest and the kindest thing to do. We'll come back to it because this isn't the topic that's going to go away. It hasn't gone away in 10 years. It's not going to go away now. Oh, 818 96 96 96. To something else, about 60-odd residents turned out at a meeting in Ballancolig last night. It's a meeting about a proposed greenway to run from Kilomni right into the city. It's something, Susan, I think you're very much in favour of. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very well. Very well, indeed. You'd be in favour of this? Um, yes, I would, because um, I'm lucky enough in that I can um, attend um, hospital treatments by bike at the moment when I need to, and um, I can do that from where I live in Cove. I can go on the ferry, and I have an off... It's nearly all off-route into... Off-road off, off road into Marina, and then from there you can take a lot of off-road um, bits and cycle lanes up to CUH, so I'm very fortunate there, um, and I, I think that Balancholic is very cut off from the rest of the city and um, cycle-wise, and it's not a safe place to, to go to by bike, and it would be great if the same facility were open to people who could um, go from that direction as well, and I think that I, I think the objections of the residents sound very trivial about having their, their peace, but so um, how is it going to be disrupted by people cycling, you know? I'll talk to some of them in a minute about that, but they're they're concerned that they'll lose part of their estate or they'll lose part of their what they already have to come in from Kilomni. Now, I know Kilomni. I have a fair idea where the route of this would go. Um, the greenways are the future. They're they're everywhere, whether we like them or not, aren't they? Well, I think from my perspective, because I was recently um, diagnosed with cancer in oh. um, January of this year, so um, I I found actually that um, it's it's become. I and then I found an influencer called um, Dr. Liz O'Riordan. She's an expert. She's a breast surgeon. She's also had breast cancer, and she does great. Um, uh, move kind of little reels and things, and um, I learned from her that exercise um, reduces your risk of recurrence by fifty. Per- can reduce your risk of recurrence by fifty percent. You know that's huge. That is really huge. And exercise is becoming a really big, big deal now. People are beginning to wake up and find out about it. And I discovered that you don't actually have to wait until your active treatment is over. If you have an e-bike. And you have a you know a decent um, cycle route. You can you, you can do it now, especially with the weather good. And I tweeted about um, the objections from the the residents. And um, I think it's interesting that people will say that you know uh, biking takes up space or you know is is like disturb you when people will park their car at any place or they will they they will. I mean, Balancholic is where they went out to try and save our roundabout. I mean, they're that tied to cars that they're desperate to save a roundabout. And in the meantime, you know, people, people, I got a great response then on Twitter. A lot of people were, were saying, you know, I have to go to Infusion CUH and I cycle and it's a great part of, you know, my, my therapy. And, you know, and I do find I'm currently undergoing chemotherapy and I do find this exercise really, really helps with the mm-hmm. side effects. 
And, you know, after the first few days, you're usually good to go. You know, if you feel a bit, you feel a bit on the tired side, just put the assist up higher. That's the great thing yeah. with getting the right kind of bike. Do, do you live in an estate and do you have children? People are asking me here. Um, I have one child. Um, I live in an apartment. I... I bring I, I do pickups regularly on the bike. It's great because I live in quite a hilly area. So what I do is I just put the thing on the high assist and I go up the hill and uh, there's a little seat in the back and I and and, and I, I can I can pick them up and it's it's great. It's it's yeah. just so it, it it's I you know once you once you do it you don't really want to go back and it's yeah. great if when I'm dropping. I don't drop them off to school as much as before, but when I did, um, it was great because I didn't have to worry about parking or anything. I would just go right up to the school and uh, just drop them off. It was fantastic. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's an electric bike you have, is it? It is, and I really would recommend, particularly if you're dealing with any kind of um, illness uh, or or a hilly area, get get an electric bike. I got it via bike to work. My employers were very good. um, Would you you feel different, maybe, if... Susan, a greenway was running outside your front door and people were whizzing past up and down on bikes where children were trying to play. Uh, well, not really, because children would be trying to play and there'd be cars instead. I presume that they wouldn't be playing actually on the greenway. There'd be, uh, there'd be, they'd be probably on, on on a road or something. But the thing is, you're saying you're 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 saying that it's kind of dangerous with bikes, but not with cars. That doesn't really make any sense to me. Mm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem with a greenway going past our apartment though. It's unfortunately, I think it doesn't wouldn't go anywhere because it's just right by the sea. So it'd be a cool distract. But actually, that'd be brilliant. I could just uh, you know just get out in the greenway and uh, head to head to school. I'd be delighted. Okay, okay. We talked to some of the people who are objecting in their own way to this. Susan Lanigan, thank you very much. Susan comes from Cove. She's not a Ballancolic person at all, but sixty five residents of Ballancolic did turn up last night to that meeting. I'm joined first of all by Georgina and by Trevor. Georgina, you're first. You live in, in Carriganara. Morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Um, I do. I do. Um, I just wanted to just make a quick point there while it's at the top of my head. Like That lady was just saying there about that we're tied to cars and it's great that she lives in a, a, a quiet state in her apartment. Our state is so quiet it's idyllic the children where they are going where they are playing right now there are three green areas in our state and that's where the greenway is going to be going so essentially where she's saying there oh they wouldn't be afraid of cars the cars that pass through here are nothing compared to what the footfall of strangers going through what is technically going to be a public amenity now through our estate is a massive worry another worry is they're planning on putting benches it's not, she's talking about the cycling element. And I understand cycling is important. You know, people are on a, a kind of, I suppose, uh, what would you say? Like they're on a high. Sustainability. Like we're, you know, we're, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a buzz around it. But our, a lot of our issue is as well is that within these plans, there's benches. Part of the Greenway is going to be in a large empty field, which is directly opposite my house. And we already have antisocial issues there. On a Saturday night at 11 o'clock, they're getting, you know, the usual bag of cans, fire logs, whatever. And they're going up there. And now it's going to be well lit and it's going to have benches. It's already hard enough in Ballancolic for the guards to 
come to that situation. When our guard station isn't open, you know yourself, the fire station, hello, we have that problem too. And now this is going to create areas where potential antisocial behaviour can happen. Okay. Stay there, Georgina. Trevor is yeah. in Glencool. Trevor. Hi, PJ. How you Hi, doing? PJ. And also, also Paul, uh, Paul is in Limeworth. Trevor, you first. How will this impact on where you live? Uh, well, the, my, where my house is located, it's traversing right down the side of the Greenway. So my back garden will be affected. My side garden will be affected. Um, I suppose my main concern would be that, uh, you know, as Georgina stated previously, the antisocial behaviour element, um, you know, the fact that my back garden and side garden could well be affected by... Will, will you lose people. area? Will you lose ground well, from I your won't garden? Well, I won't lose the area, but what my, my sole area concern is my safety, as in, for once, antisocial behaviour, and two, privacy, you know? Yeah. Hold on there, Trevor. I'm going to try and clean that line up a little bit. I'll come back to you. Uh, Fergal, you got it back there. Uh, Paul. Hi. Hi, you're in oh, Limeworth. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, I'm backing on to the uh, field um, at the back of our estate. Um, so basically, our concern here, or my concern, um, I can only speak for myself, I can't speak for the whole neighbourhood, but um, again, it's antisocial behaviour is what you'd be worried about um, with regard to the walkway and cycleway being right behind your house. Um you know, we have concerns about, you know, the boundary fencing, the distance from our boundary, and what's going to be going on beyond the walkway, i.e., is there going to be a green or a road, or are there going to be houses facing the walkway, or are there houses going to be backing onto the walkway? Okay. If there are houses backing onto the walkway, it creates a bit of an alleyway, which is, again, attracting Stay there, Paul. I'll bring Trevor back. The point that I was trying to make or trying to get to with you, Trevor, was the the way that you understand the geography of this, your back garden, effectively, you're sitting out of an evening having a beer in the back garden and there's fellows squizzing up and down on bikes and scooters. Is that what you're looking at? Yeah. Like, we've had incidents in the past, PJ, where we've had uh, teenagers drinking, you know, particularly on a summer evening, like we're approaching as well and there'd be bonfires going and there'd be cans around, you know, and there's been instances of, of small fires in the area as well. And to, it's in that regard, like I've health and safety qualification as well. And, you know, I just think that the whole city council is a little concerned to the duty of care. Like, they have a duty of care yeah. uh, to the residents to, to make sure that they're safe. S- they Susan was off. suggesting, before I brought you guys on, Susan was no, suggesting that, that some of your some of your complaints are a little trivial. Uh, no, I would have I, put to her now, she's living in Cove, she's not living where you are. Yeah. Yeah. She, has, no. yeah. she suggested that because of the Echo article, sorry to cut across you, Trevor, but she suggested no, that fine. because of the Echo article that said that um, it was going to disturb our peace. But nobody came to actually come and interview the residents here and ask, what are the issues? What are the problems that you're worried about? You know, like, where the Greenway is going at one point in Carriganara, is it going directly outside houses and a lot of those houses have children and it's just a safety concern as well that all of a sudden you're opening a big gateway to a very private quiet estate and you don't know who's coming in and who's walking and you know it is a worry like the children are out there all hours of the day and they have a ball together yeah but and will it be fenced off from them georgina no no it's slap bang in the middle of the green 
Oh. CJ, can I come in there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, they're on about screening screening shrubs, but sure, everybody knows that screening shrubs take a, a couple of years to develop and mature. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime, you know? I see. So it'll cut right through the green. There won't be a fence. There'll be some shrubs that will take a couple of years to grow. Yeah, and there'll yeah. be benches on the on the right-hand side of um, the the proposed greenway, which is also the side nearest to all the boundary walls of Lincoln, you know? There the was a plan, I'm being there. told, of course, as you know, we have a, a Balaka Legion on the other side of the glass here, uh, to use that word, if there is such a thing, that the initial plan was to run cycle tracks all the way through the regional park and up the lee fields yeah. and into the city so what happened to that plan which wouldn't wouldn't impact anybody that work commenced and then i don't know what happened but basically i don't know if you're aware of the estate i think it's called fionn lee and down the back there they kept going and it was out towards like Carragrahan, let's say is where that land goes as yeah, far as yeah, yeah. it came to a standstill i don't know was that a COVID issue or not but i know that it had begun and it was definitely a plan that was going to, you know, it, it looked good and it, I don't think it impacted as many states as this is potentially going to impact. But I, I don't know, again, if it was a COVID issue or not, yeah. but it definitely seemed to have been halted, you know. I would have, when you tell me now, those of you who were looking at this going across a green, that it's not going to be fenced off and or anything like that. Trevor, you were saying that you'd be looking out your garden oh, wall yeah. at it. But the idea... And, my fear isn't so much bikes and walkers. I would agree with you on the antisocial behaviour. My fear is those lunatics on scooters that do exactly as yeah. they please. Yeah, like it's going to be a tarmac area, uh, PJ, and like you know, it's free for rain. Like the regional park, Ballincollig is, is totally locked up every evening, and they're still having antisocial behaviour there. So yeah. this will be a free for all for everybody, and with no gates on either end and that kind of thing, you know. And can I just say, there's a proposed gr- uh, area where 2,000 houses are going to be built in Ballincollig and the, the disruption that this would possibly cause on residents, i.e. roadworks and that kind of thing, whereas if they went to a Brumfield site, they'd have free rain and th- this is a green field at the moment and there'd be no 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 um, obstruction to residents or anything like that yeah. and it would be a safer area. You, you, you have some support I think from uh, Colum Kelleher, local Fianna Fáil councillor and former Lord Mayor there in Carrig, Nara, Georgina because he said the executive needs to sit down and talk mm-hmm. more about this. It would be turning a residential quiet cul-de-sac into a public walkway. Yeah. yeah. Now, it, it's like I suppose you were just saying there with Trevor like it's directly outside my house and there's going to be a crossing push in and things like that and none of that is um, you know hidden away by a wall or a shrub or anything like that it is exactly like in the regional park the pathway where there is you know the cycle on the left and the walkers on the right shirt. and I suppose the other thing here is like I'm in a kind of a cul-de-sac and like parking we are now part of the city so what happens there are people going to park here so that oh, they well, the can minute, walk you see the minute you start mentioning your parking Georgine the minute you start mentioning <laughs> parking you're going to bring out and I'm going to say this at the no, risk of no but I mean right <laughs> you're going to bring out listen, the, you're going to no, bring out the to toxic my, cyclists no, here to my, yeah I know I am but listen to my anecdote Go on. you're going to have somebody like Susan from Cove who wants to cycle in Ballincollig so she's going to drive 
to Bannon College with her bike, park outside my house and cycle down on the Greenway, come back and go home. Yeah, a bit like certain people who used to bring their electric bike in the back of their car a number of years ago. I won't mention who, but they know who they are. Thank you to Georgina, to Paul and to Trevor. We have some other residents to talk to from uh, Valen Colleague with regards to this. We'll do that after the news. Question 10. What chess piece moves first? The pawn. So you actually got 9 out of 10. Woohoo! I'm delighted. I know. And then the one that you obviously had doubts about, uh, what chess piece moves first? The correct answer, unfortunately, is pawn. You've just won 2,000 euros! Boom! Shaka! You can buy a defibrillator now. <laughs> I know, I know. Now that I've won the two grand, everything is great. Lad, you've made my day and oh. my daughter. We're just over the moon. Congratulations. Well done. Thanks for yes. Stacking up the cash. Yes. Cash. The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Call 96FM. Oh, I think we'll be getting the charcoal out any evening soon. That weather is down. They're telling us now, just reading the papers and looking at some of the forecast apps, that weather is with us now. If I just open... Actually, there's a thing you might not know. Do you remember I used to always be going on about the Dark Sky app? Uh, Dark Sky, sadly, is no more. But it was bought up, or at least its technology was bought up by the same people that now do the Apple weather app. Now, the Apple weather app, which comes built into all of your iPhones and stuff like that, that used to be the most useless crock of nonsense on on the weather spectrum. Now, they've bought into this dark sky technology, and it is very, very reliable. And I'm just looking at the weather forecast for the next 10 days. There isn't a cloud indicated until next Wednesday, as in tomorrow week Uh, and even on that particular day it's telling me there won't be any rain of any description so we really are looking at a good strong run of fairly very very decent weather in fact your Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday Monday your June weekend 21 degrees Friday, 21 degrees Saturday, 21 degrees Sunday, 21 degrees Monday, 21 degrees Tuesday. Not a cloud in the sky. Just opening up Sunday afternoon here. It, it's, it's, it looks absolutely glorious for the next uh, few days. And yes, like I said at the top of the program this morning, we understand that a part of this is down to climate change. Although we did often get nice Junes before. I can remember many a nice early June in my time. But some of it's down to climate change. Some of it's down to the fact that Europe is heating up faster than it normally does in the summertime. But you're still allowed to enjoy it. You actually... And and isn't it fantastic in Ireland, you know, that we can now look at something and say, we can go out on Sunday to the beach or we can go down west 
on Sunday and enjoy ourselves and we don't have to take three or four changes of clothes, I think it's great. 0818969696. Back to Ballancolig and the residents of places like Carrigan, Carriganara spoke to Georgina. Richard, you're also in that estate and this greenway, you'd be opening your front door looking straight out at it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you keeping? Very good. Um, good, good, good. So, yes, PJ, so I'm living in one of the eight houses facing the green. So my big concern here is privacy. So when we look out our living room window, we're looking at this walkway or greenway right across our right across the path from us. Yes. And I'm How very concerned about now? privacy. I suppose we go from the window across to it. We're probably looking at one, two, about ten meters, maybe eight meters. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, it's practically I... on top of us. No. Yeah. Like I put it to you, PJ. Right. When we bought our house there twenty-three years ago, if I saw in the plans that this was going to happen. There is no way I would have bought a house in there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put it to you that way. And the other, the other big concern I have there, the value of the house now. I know there's people talking, oh yeah, it will increase the value, blah, blah, blah. But I would like to have the house valued. And look, then look at the house thereafter and say, right, because I can see the price of the property going down because that's a closed estate. It's a private estate, a nice, quiet estate. Yeah. 60 houses and they're nice and quiet now it's an open estate where people are just walking through and then hence that brings antisocial behaviour well, well it's funny now because last week I spoke to the residents of Ardpatrick in Blackpool mm-hmm. who they, they're plagued with antisocial behaviour because it's a through way yes and, and yeah. you are you saying here, because I don't know the geography of where you live Richard and it could mm-hmm. affect anybody this is Balancolic we're talking about but really it could affect anybody as this drive towards more cycle lanes and bus connects gains pace. But are you saying to me that normally all you see, if you like, is your own neighbours and a few kids kicking ball? Yeah, so correct. what you're now going to have is effectively okay, it's not a it's not a cycle road, a cycle route with more by bikes and scooters and walkers and runners through the estate that were never there before. That is exactly it. When I look out my window now, I see kids playing in the green, whatever, play kicking a ball up and down. That's fine, absolutely. That's great. Lovely to see it. Um, but now what I'm going to see is a greenway going through outside my window, looking across at it, people walking through, up and down, blah, 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 electric bikes, cycle bikes, whatever you want to call them, going up and down and stuff like that. Mm. And like that is going to bring antisocial behaviour. There is no doubt about that. Mm. And it won't be fenced. Previously no, to 11 there, so all, all they're going to do is plant some shrubs. Exactly. There's going to be a couple of shrubs along it, so it'll be like a tarmac thing. Going to have their bicycle lanes marked on it, etc. Blah, 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 all nice and all that. But there's going to be a couple of shrubs along it. It's not going to be fenced. So then we have the problem, okay? We have an electric bike going through. Someone flying along with electric bikes. They don't do 5 or 10 kilometres an hour. Next thing, we have a child that will run across, get a belt to the bike. What happens then? I'd be more concerned about them loons on the scooters, to be quite honest with you. Yes, same thing. Yeah. Stay there, Richard. Julie. Hi. You, can you, are you in the same place? I am one of the houses that are directly looking onto what will be what is the proposed greenway. Outside my door will be a quiet shared street. I'm not sure what they called it. Quiet road, shared road. Mm. We measured from my front door this greenway, this path is six metres. Six metres? Mm. Yeah. Now my backyard is seven metres. So six metres. Good Lord. And now... The greenway, in, or sorry, the green where my kids play, I have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old. 
the green in front of my house is approximately 10 metres. So four metres of that is going to disappear into a path for people to cycle down into. PJ, you'd have to see this to believe it. A dead end. Huh? Now there's no... I know there's going to be houses down there eventually. At the moment there's a farm. There's cows. There's a river. There's trees. Right. This is the quietest area you can well, imagine. Are they going to continue through this... Yeah. Oh, I'm sure eventually. And this is this is what I'm saying. This is only the start of it. Now, I'm worried about me. I'm worried about my children. I'm worried about our safety. Safety in regards, can the kids go out and just play? Can they walk from the front door, mm-hmm. cross this path to get to the green that's going to be halved? So we're going to have, and look, the, the, the green movement, the active yeah. transport movement, the bus, yeah. the cycles, cyclists and walkers and runners. Do you know, they're all very much about sustainable travel and all of that. And none of us would say you're not entitled to it. But yeah. right through a housing estate, right through a green where children play. There's a cycle path on the road, the main road, Carriganara Road, which is at the top of our estate. That cycle path runs all the way along. You can go into town. Okay? Mm. There is no way for my kids to cross that road safely. There is no path going all the way along our side of the road Mm. to get across for my kids to get to school. We don't go to the Gale School. My kids are in Scullone and Scullborough. Right. Stay there, Richard. Stay there, Julie. Sheila. Hi, PJ. Going in front of Um, your house. Yes, I'm actually out the front now. Yeah, it's just six feet, as Judy said, they want to do it in front of our house. Now, we bought these houses first day, 29 years ago, for the privacy, for the quietness, so that we can rear a family safely. I have five sons who played out this front all the time, soccer, the whole lot, and I had no fear. We used to sit in the front and watch them. I had no fear. Now, my grandson is here from Glasgow. They are moving over, and my daughter-in-law can't believe the privacy we have. Yeah. I know they want to take that away. Like, it's frightening. Like, I'm actually shaking. Yeah. They're going to take the front of the green in front of us. So I have my front door open here now. And it's beautiful and quiet outside. Beautiful. And now we're going to have all these random people coming through our estate. For what? So I wouldn't go to anybody else's estate and cycle through. I'd have no interest. And they're going to put benches on our estate for people to sit down. Like, who, who decided this? This lady, Rosalind, from the council came out to our houses, I'd say, over a month ago. Right. And she knocked at our doors. And she said, oh, we want to do all of this. And we were saying, that's insanity. And I said, what do the other neighbours say? And she said, oh, yes, they were in agreement. We were saying, that's very strange. Well, we I, I, I'm not hearing anybody. I haven't heard any of your neighbours. I'm looking at this this morning. So where I live, okay, yes. I, I live in an estate. And I live at the edge of an estate. Yes. So there's traffic in yes. and out all the time. You're used to it. But it's a main road. You watch for traffic. But yes. there is a green directly across from me. So... I'm in that yeah. position. So you're saying to me, a green where children play is now yeah. to be bisected, bisected by a yeah. busy cycle lane, yeah. scooters, yeah. bikes. The front of it. So, yeah. so when they come off, like when we're driving down the road, straight away the cycle lane, so the kids will come out of the houses, there's a cycle lane, so they have to pass that to go over to the green. So you're going to have electric bikes, scooters, the whole lot whizzing down. So my grandson, he's three, he can't go out. He'll be killed. If he's knocked down by one, you see how fast they go. I have. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know where they got the idea from. But I think a, they got the money. This and is they a want private to spend estate. It's not there. a public road, like. 
that's what we said. We said, this is a private estate. How can you come in? Now, we had some councillors out here, and the impression we got from some of them is that they want it. Oh, and it's for obesity, and it's for the exercise of people cycling through, they were saying. What about our children? Yeah. And from the Grail Skull scene, because they built the Grail Skull, and there's not enough parking there. So they wanted people to walk from the Skull. That's what it is. Through yeah. this estate then. Yeah. But it's about four children. This is in the Grail See, I, I'm going to say something now that'll land me in trouble, and I really don't care. It, it's getting to the point yeah. now where, fine, we all understand that cycling is healthy, and we all understand oh, that we have to move. Yeah. By the way, but there's an idea now oh. that you can put a bike up your backside, and no one can object yeah. to it. No, and they voted themselves, the councillors. They, they're putting it in, and they'll vote themselves. Oh, well, that's virtue signalling. That is, isn't it? So that's just no. This is ridiculous. No, I'm completely. I can. I mean, I don't even have to see it. I can imagine it. I've got you, and yeah. I've got Richard, and I've yeah. got Julie telling me all about it. Yeah. Like they're gonna. A peaceful <laughs> estate is going to be yeah. divided into by this cycle yeah. lane with people going up and down it. Mm-hmm. And like Richard said, you're still there. Benches. Am, yeah. Yeah. What's going to happen in the evening yeah. time? You know, they're not going to do their knitting. They'll have their bags of cans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, PJ, if you can, there. I've just sent an email to reception. Sorry, Julie. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, sorry. I just sent an email there to reception with a photograph of where I'm living, right? Yes. And you'll see the photogrammetry where there's a man in it and he's walking. So my house there is in the corner, and you can just see exactly where the walkway is. If you can get that email there from reception, you'll see exactly what we're talking about. No, it, it, it does seem it does seem quite ridiculous. We have another one. Oh, is it ridiculous. stay there? The, 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 what I'm going to do, guys, I'm just going to let the three of you guys go back into okay. the system for a second. Hold on for me because I don't want to block up the lines too much. Dolores. Hi, how are you, PJ? Hi, where are you living? I'm in Carrigonara as well, PJ. And okay. um, I'm actually in the cul-de-sac by Georgina. Right. So when I sit out and look out my front window, I'm going to see the zebra crossing and pillars right in front of my my sitting room window. Um, now, the council, or this lady, Rosalind, said she had visited people in the estate. And look, she was just doing a job. We're not personalising. Yeah, her. yeah, but yeah. she didn't call to every house in the estate. She only called to the, uh, about 16 houses in the estate. She never came to my house, nor the people in our cul-de-sac. So they hadn't informed everybody at the front door that this was going ahead. It's only word of mouth. It started to come out to people in the estate. Right. So, like, we were not all informed from day one. And a lot of people in the estate, because I went around to houses last really? Friday, yeah. and a lot of people in the estate didn't even know about this greenway. Yeah. No, one, it, it, they it have is, it one is. planning permission sign in the green, and then they have one at the entrance to Magdalen, which is waste ground that nobody goes through unless you're young people having their drinks and stuff like that. So yeah. we were not all informed. Yeah. from day one about okay. this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to you all individually there, so stay with me. So I've got four of you on, so let, let, let this, this, this could be like trying to coordinate a symphony orchestra if I'm not careful. So, so here we go. So Richard, let, let you finish up. Your main concern is what? Well, my main concern, thanks, Peter. My main concern is privacy, number one, because I'm looking out yeah. the window. And it's about, I'd say, I'm just looking at the picture there now. It's probably about eight metres across from me, if I was to look, to be honest about it. Right. My next thing is the value of the property. Yeah. That's going to be a big yeah. concern because I can see the value dropping because if I went into that estate, say, sure. Q4 or Q1 the following year, I went to buy that house, I'd go, mm, no, I don't be looking out of that. My next thing is antisocial behaviour. Yeah. That is going to be a big problem because we have antisocial behaviour already in the field in Magdalen, but now we're bringing them to the field in Magdalen. 
I got you. And, I like, got and you. the council are doing a great job, okay, in Balancolic. They're resurfacing the roads, putting in the boxes, all, and that's great to see. I'm not, for, I'm not against development or anything like that. I'm not against the council, but I would say is, please, look at us. Do not come through a private estate. Yeah. Find another route. Bring it through. I've no issue with it, but bring it through. But, but don't bring it through a private estate, please. Yeah. Look at it. But like the issue we have, if when they start lighting fires there on the benches, and they're doing that already in the regional park in Balancolic, remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. our fire station is now gone. <coughs> they're coming from Anglesey Street, which is about 16 minutes to get them out there. Our Garda station, the Garda are now based in Toker Station. So that means when we have antisocial behaviour, they're damaging cars, they're coming so through, they're drunk at two or three in the morning. The cars are coming in from Toker. Okay. Richard, I'm going to leave you there and I'll move on to Julie. Again, Julie, just sum up your concerns for me. Safety is my big concern. Um, and online you'll see on Twitter and stuff, people are talking about not in my backyard, that we're all NIMBYs. Yes. It's my front door. Yeah. It's my kids' safety. It's the front door. It's not my backyard. People who are commenting, they can't see this area. They're not looking at it. Well, no, I haven't seen it. I haven't looked at it. But I can imagine. I'm, I'm yeah. just thinking. You, you're not all, like there's a, there's an old saying. If if ten people are telling you you're dead, you should consider lying down. The yeah. entire estate of residents are open arms about the way this thing is designed. Julie, safety is your big thing. Sheila, yours, your problem. Hiya. Um, the privacy, privacy like outside my front door that there's these people looking into our, our houses, seeing what's going on, our insurances will go up, our car insurance will go up, because now it is a public area where it's a private estate all the time, yeah, that's now a it good won't point. be anymore. That's a good point, yeah? your cars will be yeah? parked on a public insurance. street. Yeah. yeah, and your house insurance, and then people watching your house, that you don't, you know you say to your children, watch out for strangers, no there's all strangers coming in, they want to, they want to come into the estate. There's any number of issues being raised here. Sheila, thank you for that. And lastly, I'll go back to you, Dolores, if you'd one concern in particular. Uh, Privacy would be my biggest concern and safety. And um, like we can't we can't get out our own the gate of our park. There's no car. This is a one way in a one way out park for cars. So now you'll have cyclists, walkers, scooters coming in through a one way in and out system with cars. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. Okay. None. All right. yeah. Thank you all. Thank you to Dolores and to Sheila and to Julie and to Richard and to Trevor and to Paul and to Georgina. This is a lively issue for the people of Balancolic. And yes, it is Balancolic, but it could be anywhere. It could be Douglas tomorrow. It could be Toker the day after. It could be Balancolic the day after that. There's so much change coming. Do you remember only a few months ago we were talking about some... Um, some some brain of Britain decided it would be a good idea to cut down all of John Spillane's cherry trees for a bus lane. Now, I think we may have saved the cherry trees, but this is utterly bonkers. If what all, and as I said, Richard and Sheila and Julie and, and Paul and Georgina and Trevor and Dolores, they're all telling me the same thing. They can't all be wrong. We're living in Carrigan Ara. Refuse trucks have to reverse up both hills which means they'll be reversing over the crossings. Oh, God, no one's making that point. The latest point about cars being more dangerous than bikes. This is getting back to where we originally started this conversation, which was with with Susan, who, by the way, Susan is in, in, in Cove. So while the issue of greenways is important to her, 
I, I don't know if she'd be too happy about one running right outside her front door. Um, she said the lady's point about cars being more dangerous than bikes. It's true, but neighbours in estates with kids generally drive slowly. Some bikes and scooters go 30 to 40 kilometres an hour on these pathways. It's ridiculous, says Finbar. I win... Uh, I, I cycle, rather, not out that way, but the addiction to greenways is horrendous. I hope residents uh, get their way. Uh, David says people power will win this. Well done to the residents. You see, the thing about it, David is people power will win, but there is, and I say this again, that there is a big push on now for cycling and active travel, and no one is objecting to it. But there is this other thing that said, well, I'm a cyclist. And I can do what I like because I'm sustainable. Well, no, you actually can't. But there is an, an idea out there that, you know, there's nothing bad should ever be said about bikes or scooters. So that's just the yes for a start. Fidelma says, what about all... Oh, I haven't thought of this. Didn't come to my mind. Fidelma, what about all the bats and hedgehogs and wildlife? Their homes will be disturbed too. 0818 96 96 96 and it's the anti for me the takeaway from that is two things talking to all those people there are two takeaways the first takeaway is the fact that this green through a private park quiet area will be bisected and turned into a roadway for scooters and bikes and skateboards and all that there'll be benches drawing antisocial behaviour unfortunately anytime you put benches in a public place there's a reason why we can't have nice things. You put benches in a public place, some idiot is going to try and burn the bench. We've had enough incidents of it around the place. <sighs> I'm with them. I'm, I'm with the nice people of Carrignama anyway. 0818-96-96-96. I'll be slaughtered now on Twitter by the cyclists later on. I'll be crucified. <laughs> That's grand. I'll just use me block button. You guys ready? Watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Festival season is almost upon us, so let's do a quick festival checklist. Wellies, tent, dry shampoo, baby wipes, tickets. Tickets. Just as well, all this week I'm giving away passes for Independence in Mitchellstown. Your chance to see Anne-Marie, Jax Jones, Inhaler, Belters Only and more this August. Tune in to win every weekday from four. The Big Drive Home. With Independence Music and Arts Festival. Magic and memories at Indie 23. Tickets at independencefestival.com. Cork's 96 FM. No doubt we haven't heard the last of that situation in Balancholic and happy to come back to it. But the the Irish Times, well, first thing we're very proud of here on the Opinion Line is we hear quite frequently from people all over the world who listen to the show on their phone or they listen on an Alexa or they listen on something else. They listen to us online from all over the world and the connection with the native Cork is great and it's so much easier to do it than it used to be. And that's, that's down to things like apps and phones and stuff like that. I remember one morning... One morning I was presenting Old is Irish, sitting in for the great one, and I got a, a message from a guy who was just setting out to drive from Beirut to Tel Aviv, and he was listening, and he was a fellow from Douglas. Like, that's brilliant. International listeners like that. And to tie in with that, uh, the, I read a fabulous article in the Irish Times. The Irish Times is encouraging Irish people overseas to write articles about 
having emigrated and what life is like in other parts of the world. And Brendan McGinn is a Blackpool man who uh, is living now in Providence, Rhode Island. And the story of how he got there and what he does there is a story he wrote for uh, the, the Irish Times. He joins me from Providence now to chat a little further about it uh, and life in the States as a Corkman who emigrated. It's 10 years ago now, Brendan. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, yeah, 10 years. We moved here in summer 2013, so it's kind of hard to believe that it has been 10 years. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I have no regrets. Um, it was a big step initially to go there. Um, but I suppose having my wife was originally from Puerto Rico in the Caribbean, so she had family here in the US and, you know, she wanted to be closer to her family. So I said, why not? You know, life is short. You only get one shot at it. And, um, you know, it was always kind of a goal for me to go to the US. So, you know, why not? Yeah. And you literally just up sticks. You no 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 ties, no prospects, no start over there, no? No, no. Literally, we're going over blind. My wife already had an interview for a job over here, but I did not. So I was going... Uh, with our eyes open, you know, and you know, in one sense too, it kind of helped me because I, you know, when you're going there, you've kind of nothing to lose, you yeah. know, you're just going to take any kind of opportunity and just go with it. I was 32, two young kids, um, not always the easiest to start, um, but you only, as I say, you only get one shot at life, and I said I wanted to just take it. Your wife is Puerto Rican. Where did you meet? Did you meet in Cork? I did. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually a funny story. So. Um, we met back in 2007. She was actually on holidays in Ireland. She was working in Norway at the time for a year. And she, we actually met at a Junior B hurling match up in Ratpeakin. Uh, <laughs> if you can believe that. You don't get too many Puerto Ricans at a hurling match in Ratpeakin. No, no, you don't. And it's actually funny because uh, I was actually injured at the time. I was on crutches and she was actually driving by the field up in Ratpeakin and she just came in to take a look at it and we started chatting. And, you know, one thing led, led to another. And what? She was she was curious about the game, was it? She was curious about what was going on. She was, yeah. She's like, what's this? She was only in, in Ireland for two weeks initially. That was the plan. And, uh, yeah, we just it's, we just started talking. And that's how we, we first met. Uh, and then her year finished in December of 2007. And January 1, 2008, uh, she just did the same thing as me, up six, and decided to move to Ireland. Brendan, that's a hell of a story, man. I know. You met at a Junior B hurling match in Ratpeakin. A Puerto Rican woman who's in Ireland two days walks in, in to check out what's going on in this field and now you're married with two kids and living in, <laughs> living in Rhode Island. Living in the US <laughs> and we're together, what is it, like 15 years or something. So I know it's crazy how things work out, right? That's the maddest I've heard in a while. So yeah, the decision to move was so she could be nearer to home. Near. You and you had nothing to start with. You'd do it all again. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no crams about it. Um, you know, look, I did have to sort my pride at some stage. You know, I went into a job. I was in construction, I think, for the first six weeks. Uh, then I got a job in a bank um, just through some brief connection that I'd met. And I worked in a bank for about four or five years. Uh, and then recently, my, what I'm doing for the last uh, four years, I work in logistics for a Belgian company. Right. So that's been a lot of fun. And how did you choose Royal Island? So her father and his family actually live in Providence in Rhode Island. Uh, and it's also kind of, it was a perfect kind of halfway point for us because 
it's directly halfway to Puerto Rico from Providence, and it's also very quickly for me to get home to Ireland as well if I need to. Yeah. Uh, Providence, I don't know if you're familiar with Providence, but it's about 50 minutes outside Boston. Yes. Uh, so it's very easy for me to get home, you know, so that was kind of a good midpoint for the two of us. There was a kind of a short-lived flight connection between Providence and Cork a couple of years ago. Yeah, and honestly, it really worked out for me because it was Norwegian Air. They were going directly from Providence into uh, into Cork Airport. And I actually met a lot of Cork people who came over on that flight. Yeah. So it was a bit of a shame. I think it was kind of COVID kind of killed it. But yeah, uh, yeah that was really worked out. So now I just go Boston to Shannon. You initially had to, and this is the, another great bit of the story here. There's so many pieces to it. You had to drive from Jacksonville, Florida to <laughs> Providence, Rhode Island. Now, that's not like going to Tralee. <laughs> it's not like um, Yeah, that was one of my first. Actually, I we part of the story is is that we left in, in June, July to go to Puerto Rico, but I had to come back for my uh, for my visa. So when I got that, uh, V, my wife's father actually gave us a car, an old car that he wasn't using, but right. he said I had to go down and pick it up. Um, so I don't know if you've ever driven here in the US, but yeah, it was twenty two hours all in. I actually didn't even have a phone on me at the time. And had you driven there before? No, I hadn't. It was my first time driving there, so <laughs> really into the coal fire, you know. And here's the thing with driving in the US, it's not like driving in Ireland, it's literally just highway the whole way. So you're going through 10, 12 states. It's the wrong side of the road for the start. It's the wrong side of the road, the wheel is on the wrong side, so it was a bit of uh yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's mad. So, how old are the kids now? The kids are, my eldest is Saoirse, she's just about to be 14, in two weeks, she's actually starting high school, or sorry, uh, secondary school next September. And then my youngest, Elena, will be 11 in, in August. Right. So two girls, and uh, I mean, they're fabulous. You know, they're, they're great. They're really, um, they're really taking over here. I mean, their friends are here, their family's here. You know, they're as much American as they are Irish at this stage, you know, and Puerto Rican. So they're Irish, Puerto Rican, and grew up in America. Grew up in America, and then here's there's another part of it as well. Honestly, the story just gets better. So my wife's from Puerto Rico, but her dad is actually Swedish. So there's a bit of Swedish in there as well. <laughs> so we joke, we joke, we're like the UN family. Yeah, you said you worked for a company that's based in Belgium. That's another miracle of the modern world, isn't it? You can work from the other side uh, of the world, but it means you get back to Europe a bit. Yeah, it's honestly, it's really, uh, it, it really is a great job. I'm very lucky to have it. Um, yeah, they're based up in Ghent in Belgium. So I usually go back there about three, four times a year and it always gets to stop off at home and Ireland myself for a few days. So it's a great way to see the family, you know, just catch up for a short time and then back over here again. You have your brothers and sisters and your parents still here? Oh, yeah. They're all there. I'm the, uh, I'm the black sheep. I'm the only one who moved away. I'm one of six. Right. So, uh, but it's great for them because they get to visit me here as well. Like, you know, usually they fly into New York, drive up to me and then spend some time in Boston. So they get to see a lot of the northeast of the country, you know? Hmm. There's a lot of talk, Brendan, over the years about immigration, and it mm-hmm. tends to be framed in very negative language. Yeah. It's great to hear a guy who actually is happy with his decision, and you'd encourage people to give it a go, I think. Is that fair? Absolutely. Uh, 100%. Now, look, PJ, I, I, look, I've been very lucky, right? I mean, my wife had some family over here, so I did have some, you know, some of it of connections here. Um, but definitely what I would say to anybody, especially if you're a young person right out of college, definitely, definitely take the opportunity if you can to, even if it's not the US, you know, there's so much of the world that's open there. So many countries are looking for young people to come in and I would just take the opportunity.
you know, there's, especially if you've no ties. So what, what do you miss? Well, you know, I actually, there's, it's times of the year that I miss more than anything else, right? So, I mean, I just, I looked at the weather before I jumped in the call with you and apparently the the weather's supposed to be amazing, right? So it's, you know, there's so much going on at home. You've got the concerts in Musgrave Park, the, the marquee, you have the Midsummer Festival, all that stuff. I, I really miss it this time of year. Yeah. Um, and as well, of course, the hurling. I was a big hurling guy, you know. Yeah. I, I did have a, a pang of jealousy when I was watching a Cork v Tipperary last couple of weeks ago there down the park. I mean, it looked amazing. You yeah. know, everybody looked like they were in good form. Uh, weather was good, you know. So it's 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 that, those kind of events that I would miss. You yeah. Know? You'd miss the hurling big time, would you? Oh, big time, big time. But the, the good thing over here is up in the Northeast, there's a place called Canton and there's an Irish cultural centre. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with who've travelled over here. But it's a huge Irish community. You know, the summertime, every Saturday and Sunday, there's always events, hurling and football going on. So that's that's a good way to connect with the community over here, you know? Yeah. There are different kinds of communities, aren't there, Brendan? Like the idea that we would finish up, say the, the June weekend now, we'd finish up hopefully a bit early on a Friday and you'd swing by for a couple of cold ones in the afternoon. Yeah. The, the cultures are different, aren't they? Yes. I mean, I mean they are and they aren't, uh, PJ. Look, the... Ireland, I feel, anytime I go home, I feel like Ireland is getting a lot more, I don't want to say it's more like the US, but it's getting very similar culture-wise, you know. I mean, if the weather's good at home, people are having barbecues, uh, having a few beers, they're hanging out with their family. And it's, it's pretty much the same thing as well over here, you know. I mean, yesterday we were hanging out with friends of ours. One of the guys was from Peru. Uh, another family was from Chile, you know, and it's that kind of, it's like a melting pot, you know? Yeah. So in that sense, you know, that's, it is different, but it's also the same, you know? Yeah. Communication is different too. I mean, even, even when you left first 10 years ago, communication wasn't what it is today. I mean, here we're talking on a WhatsApp line, like you're sitting next to me. I know. You I know, know you, can, you can listen to 96FM on, on an app, do you know? Of course, Absolutely. Uh, I'm on seven WhatsApp groups. I read the newspapers every day on, online. Um, I listen to 96 FM in the car when I take the kids to school. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like I'm away. You yeah. Know? And it's almost like even if I was at home, you, I probably wouldn't see my family as often as I would. You know, but I would still talk to them. So I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Yeah. You know, yes, I miss out on physically being there, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel like I'm away. You yeah. Know? I feel like I almost have the best of both worlds, right? Yeah. I have whole life over here in the US, but then I get to get in contact and keep up with what's up at home as well. Yeah, and you mentioned the weather where to go, and yeah, it does look like we've got this with us now until probably after the weekend, possibly into Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. We're all delighted. You've got nice weather until when, roughly? Uh, probably, I would say, end of October. Yeah, end of October is usually start of November is when it kind of starts to turn. I mean, yeah, that's the one thing I can't complain about, honestly. It's the weather, it's the... Uh, the change of season, you know, when it's when it's winter, it's winter. When it's summer, it's summer. Yeah. So when's the next time you might get home for a? Or, hey, actually, wait. Where is home now? Is it is it Providence or is it Blarney? No, it's Providence. I I can't say. I mean, as much as I love living there in Blarney, I mean, I got my two kids were baptized in the church in Blarney. Um, you know, my wife and myself lived there for at least you know seven, eight years, whatever it was. Uh, so, I mean, there's always a connection there, but no, home is right now here now. I mean, everything is here for me. You know, my job, uh, my kids have their friends, um, my wife has a job over here. You know, it's, it, the longer it goes on, the harder it is to root to uh, up six again, you know. For people who are considering it, who might say, you know what, I would like to try it. What advice would you give them, Brendan? 
the visa. First of all, you've got to fix up your visa, man, before you come out here. Honestly, I, I work in um, logistics, so I deal with the customs agencies every day. And those guys do not mess around, PJ. I'm not kidding you. So even if you stay over a week, two weeks over your visa, they absolutely will come back at you. And, you know, you can go to plead your case, but you will not get by here. And, you know, it's not even that. It's it's just, you're, you're like, nobody wants to live looking over their shoulder, you know? And once you get your visa in your hand, Honestly, the world is your oyster. I've done a few stories with, with people over the years, a couple of them from Cork as well, of guys who overstayed. They built up a business, they're employing people, they're paid their taxes, all these, but then suddenly there's a knock on the door. They'll take your taxes, they'll let you live quite a normal life, but once they discover that your paperwork's off, you're done. Yeah. And, and honestly, they can pull you for, if, like, let's just say you get pulled over for a traffic stop, right? They'll run your license. And if they see that this guy is not supposed to be here, you'll be taken to a detention center and literally your whole life, your whole life is taken from you. Yeah. Everything will just be taken from you. I tell people the whole time, get yourself sorted out, get your paperwork done. And honestly, you can do whatever you want when you come over here. And, and briefly, did the Trump administration make that worse? Yes. And actually, it's one of the reasons why I got my citizenship. So I came here on what's called a spousal visa. Uh, that's a, it gave me a 10-year green card. But then when Trump was elected, he started speaking all this like nonsense about, you know, you know, immigrants shouldn't be here. People who were not born in the U.S. shouldn't be here. So I, that's why I applied for citizenship. So I got that about four years ago. So now it's like I don't even think about it anymore, you know. Yeah. Carrying that injury into a junior B hurling match all those years ago. <laughs> talk about how things work out in life. I know, I know. You know what? I probably owe the guy who did it to me a pint, right? <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, great talking to you. Thank you very much. All right, Tisha. Thank you. Bye now. Cheers, uh, Brendan, and our best to Victoria and to Saoirse and Elinda. If you are living in any corner of the world like that, that you'd like to chat to us about it, and uh, he's missing, he says he misses breakfast rolls and he misses the crack and cork, but. He also loves his life over there and it's hard to see why he wouldn't. I mean, imagine looking out on that until September or October. The weather's just one thing because he misses the hurling. So, it's a good idea. There are people listening to us all over the world picking us up particularly on the podcast or particularly on the overnight repeat of the show which runs between 3 and 5 a.m. here but whatever time zone you're in, you pick it up. Um, if you are listening to us uh, in some strange corner of the world, the stranger the better. Remember one morning here, it's a few years ago, this guy texted me about, we were talking about something ridiculous. I don't know what it was. And he texted me from his break. And we, we got back. He was in Azerbaijan. And he was listening to us on the app on his break. So, yeah, let's see if we can do that now over the next while. Anybody from Cork who has emigrated and is happy with where they are. But what do you miss? Yeah, We always do it at Christmas. Nice to do it all year round. That was a, a very enjoyable chat with Brendan. I think it's the best story ever. It's the best story ever. His whole story starts with being injured, going to a Junior B hurling match, injured, he's on crutches, this random woman driving along... What's that going on there? She's in Ireland a couple of days. She goes in to look at this very strange sport, gets chatting to this guy on the sideline, and the next thing you know, 
That's a fabulous story. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Corks 96 FM. Okay, so Hannah, this happened to you last week um, during Radiothon. Um, it was, and you don't know you don't know who moved your car, but it got moved. Morning. Uh, good morning. Yeah, I got a phone call from my boyfriend's brother saying that the council wanted the car to be moved. When was this now? This was Friday morning. Okay, and where was the car parked? Uh, South Douglas Road. Okay. So I was away um, down at my family's house. So I said I'll come up and move the car for them if it's bothering them. Right. Did they say why they needed it moved? Uh, no, they just they kind of just said that the car was in the way. They didn't really say anything else about it. Okay. And then my boyfriend's brother called me back again saying that the car was okay where it was because he went to talk to one of the construction guys or the roadwork guys. So they said the car was okay where it was for now and that there was no hurry for me to, to come back to move it. Okay. And... I was like, I'll still come up anyway, just to move it. And then when I came up, then it was after being moved down the road. Okay. Who had moved it, do you know? I don't know. We tried to talk to the guys that were working on the road. So we had to bring the guards into it. And they were still not really talking much about it. They said that they shouldn't have moved the car. But... They still got into the car and managed to move it backwards. Yeah, that's my question. How did they get in? I don't know. They kept saying that I left the car open, but I know I didn't because, like, I checked the car before I I left. And even if they did get in, how did they start it? Well, see, the way the road is, it's kind of like on a bit of a slant. So all they did was probably just put it out of gear and just roll it backwards. For how far? Um, not too far, but enough for it to be noticeable that they moved it. I see, I see. So someone got into the car, put the gear in neutral, as far as you can tell, and yeah. the car got pushed back a certain distance. Is I, I, to, I hope there's no harm done to it, is there? No, there, there's no harm done to it, but I'm still kind of like upset that they didn't bother you know, telling anyone in the house that the car was unlocked or moved. They just did it and didn't say nothing to anyone. And you don't actually know who moved it, do you? I don't know who moved the knobs, the construction lads, wouldn't talk to us at all. Mm. Well, you you believe it was one of them? Yeah, I believe it was one of them, yeah. You're looking to know if anybody saw it being moved, I think, Hannah? Yeah. So do you know what time this happened? I think it was around 8 o'clock. I got a picture from my boyfriend's brother. He sent me a picture at around half 8 in the morning that the car was parked and that the cones were around the car. Okay. And then when he went back out of the house then to go to work at around half 12, he sent me another picture that the car was after being moved. Oh, so initially cones were placed around it? Yeah, cones were placed around us that morning. I see. Yeah. Do you just want to know how they got yeah. into it? 
and who did it effectively? Are they entitled to do so, I think, is your key question. If it was, if it was someone to do with the council, if it was someone to do with the construction team, we're only assuming that because we don't know. Are they entitled to do that? Yeah, like I I got the guards to come and they said that they are not allowed to be doing that. That if they had a problem with the car, they should have came to them about it. They made them apologise for moving the car. Okay. But they kept saying that they, they didn't, that the car was unlocked. Yeah. So that's why they, they went into it and moved it because it was unlocked. And you're looking for anybody who might have seen it being moved or have dash cam footage of it being moved or anything like that? Yes. Right. So where on the South Douglas Road? Give us a landmark so people can know. It's past the, the big centra with the pharmacy and stuff next to it. And it was on the centra side or on the other side? It was on the other side of the road. On the other side of the road. Okay. Yeah. Closer to town or closer to Douglas? Uh, closer to Douglas. Okay. The make of car and the colour of the car, in case people might have seen it? Uh, it was a black Mazda. Hannah, if anybody saw it being moved or has pictures of it being moved, then they can call us and we can put you in touch with them. How's that for you? That's perfect. Thank is, you. Is the car all right, by the way? Yeah, the, the car was fine. Thank you. Have a good day. Perfect. Thank you. Does any, does that, so... She still, I don't think, knows who moved the car. Uh, the guards said it shouldn't have happened. The guards said they should be contacted to move the car. I had an occasion one time where there was a car outside of our house at home for nearly two weeks. Now, you don't have any right to the space outside your front door, which a lot of people don't know. But it was annoying me in the end. And I rang Angus Station thinking that the car might just have been abandoned because it was fairly decrepit looking inside and was gone within 40 minutes. Someone had just left it there um, out of convenience. Yeah. They came back with their tail between the legs and moved it and they were called up by the guards. We'll come back to that. If anybody has any experience or might know how if I had any rights infringed there, you can come back to us on that and anything else that uh, we were talking about this morning. Liam Redding is a big fan. He's off to see the frames on Friday, 2nd of June, live at the Marquee. Congratulations to you, Liam. That's it. Programme edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thanks to you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did, and we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.